Happy Thanksgiving from the Enhancement Talent. Us here at the show want to wish our loyal listeners a happy and safe holiday. Championship belts are the ultimate status symbols. If you hold one, it represents that you're one of the best in the world. But when the title changes hands, it can cause a seismic shift in the wrestling landscape as one era ends and another begins. This week on the Enhancement Talent, we give you our top picks for the best changes of the guard. Join us as we give you our top 20 title changes of all time. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Town Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me tonight, as always, the other half of the amazing Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How are you doing tonight, Bob? I'm doing great, sir. How about yourself? Doing all right. Doing all right. Getting ready for Thanksgiving. Of course, Thanksgiving is coming up later this week. Um, Kim and I are going down to St. Louis for a few days. We'll be there Wednesday to Saturday, uh, visiting her family. Uh, how about you? What's your plans for Turkey Day? She's going to be here at the house. My parents are coming over. I think my uh, sister-in-law's coming over, my brother. So just here. We usually have it here at my house. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I'm. Thanksgiving's, I love Thanksgiving. It's probably my second favorite holiday next to Christmas. I just love, I, I don't know, I love this time of year. And not just because of Survivor Series. It's because of family, food, togetherness, all that corny shit. I'm, time I'm a sucker off. for it. How about yeah, time, time off? Yeah, time off too. Time off too. <laughs> Speaking of time off, Adam, out in beautiful Cary, Illinois, the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kolavik. How about you, Adam? What are your plans for Thanksgiving? Oh, um, some of the things you mentioned, but uh, I kind of got the short end of the stick this year at work, so uh, I'll be working Friday and Saturday. Um, oh. I'm off on Thursday. So, uh, but don't worry, December I will be like a ghost over there. So, so yeah, you got to take that time off. You know, yeah. you got to use it or lose you it. Use it or lose it, and. Um, but there's one thing my father taught me: do not leave those days on the table because he used to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making that mistake, so uh, yeah. But uh, we'll do some fun stuff in between. We'll, we'll get the uh, house ready for Christmas. See some family on Thursday and Saturday when I get out. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll balance it all out. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll all be checking our phones to see what happens. Survivor Series, and I'm I personally am. But let's let's see what happens, so we don't have to hear all the damn speculation anymore. Oh, are you are you alluding to uh, a certain uh, Chicago native making a, an appearance or not? Well, there's that, and you know, I also heard uh, maybe a legend killer potentially returning too. I've heard a lot of rumors yeah, about that. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, He's been out for a long time. I think him coming back uh, is probably a given. 
I don't know. There's still there's still insiders saying that Punk's not happening, and I'm I'm tending to agree with them. Um, I know a lot of people are like, well, why would they announce Punk coming back? It's like, well, because to make sure that they sell tickets, maybe, but uh, they're not even alluding to it. The way that you know when Punk came back, AEW wasn't saying anything about it directly, but they were definitely alluding to it. WWE is not even doing that, and I think they're, that's a conscious choice because they don't want to get fans' hopes up. So, um, yeah, chance I, are going to happen whether he's there or yeah, not. So, either way, yeah, either way. <laughs> but um, you know, we'll see if that if what happens to those chants at um, at all in or all out. I'm sorry. Um, if the same thing happens. Uh, at Survivor Series, where the fans kind of just uh, boo it out. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, on our next show, we'll we'll definitely have a review of Survivor, or a rundown of Survivor Series after it happens. But for this particular show, let's do a rundown of the pay-per-view that happened last night, and that is AEW's Full Gear. Um, this one came to you live from the ex-home of the Los Angeles Lakers, the Kia Forum. Um, I heard yeah, Kurt Rambis was in attendance. Yeah, that's right. His stash I'm, and his goggles were, were there, too. <laughs> yeah. I, there were some celebrities in attendance. I think I saw Ken Jong there and Steve-O from Jackass. They were there. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, I liked it. It was a pretty solid show. Um, if I had to grade it out, I'd probably give it like a a solid B to a B minus. Uh, not the best AEW pay per view I've ever seen, but definitely nowhere amongst uh, the low end either. Uh, Bob, how about you? What are your opinion? What's your opinion on Full Gear? I agree with you with giving it a B overall. It was a it was a good show, a solid show. Um, I agree with the Hangman Swerve. That match was the match of the night. Stole the show. Um, incredible what those two did in the ring together. Um, Prince Nana is fucking awesome. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, he is. I like when Hangman, mm-hmm. Hangman grabbed him uh, on the on the ring apron and he started doing his dance. Um, that was awesome. One of the matches you didn't talk about that I actually enjoyed a lot was Cesaro and um, and Buddy Matthews. Uh, that was oh a yeah, great match. zero hour. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching those two together. Um, those were a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned Orange Cassidy's title. What they announced that they were going to do is they're going to take that title. Um, they're going to take the international title, the Ring of Honor world title, and the New Japan strong title, and they're going to merge them all into one. So whoever wins this tournament that they're going to have is going to be pretty much the champ of all three. It's gonna, they're that's going to represent the belt for all of them is what they know what they be, were going to do with it. And it's just going to be called the AEW Continental Championship. Correct. So that's there's what they announced not, There's not going to be a Ring of Honor or Heavyweight Champion anymore? According to what I read earlier, no. Wow. And the New Japan okay. Strong belt will be gone as well. Wow. Um I I did have a I did have a problem with what you mentioned earlier as well. Um they kept hyping up that, you know, the reason Samoa Joe was in the match was because Adam Cole could not perform during the match because he was injured. And then all of a sudden, like you said, they announced that he could wrestle in the main event. Um, 
I was surprised as to why they were going to just automatically strip MJF of the title and just give it to Jay White before Adam Cole came out. Uh, I had never heard of a stipulation like that, nor had they mentioned anything about it. And then at the very end, like you said, you were you were happy with MJF milking the injury really well, but the fact that he did a running famouser off the top, um, you know, kind of threw it off for me there. I was like, oh, so much for the injured leg angle that you were doing, um, especially <laughs> yeah. with the famouser, but. Uh, other than that, like you said, I, I give it a, a solid B. It's a good show. It's a good show. Adam, you have you haven't seen it yet, but uh, you have any thoughts after hearing the results? Yeah, it seemed to me um, from what I read, um, saw a few highlights here and there that it, you know it's it's typical AEW show where you know it's like you mentioned earlier. Um, you thought you know oh eight matches, it's only going to be three hours long. No, it was four hours long. But I mean, you got you got a lot of stuff. Uh, you got your money's worth. Um, you know, I thought it was a strong card going in. Um, you know, if I didn't have plans, I definitely would have ordered it. Uh, but uh, yeah, like you said, it, it didn't. I'm looking over the card again, and none of these matches uh, are like, ugh, I don't want to watch this. So um, yeah, that's what you want to do. Uh, you want to make a solid card all the way around, and. And, uh, and and deliver, and it sounds like they did. Um, you know, I, I'm not surprised, but uh, but Tony Storm winning the title—that's you know she's really gotten the gimmick over. So, so I think that's a good move. I was surprised too by the Julia Hart booking, but uh, you got to give her a lot of credit. I mean, you think maybe not even two years ago she was shaking pom poms with, with Alexis King and, and Griff Garrison. Uh, didn't have a whole lot to do, and now all of a sudden she's a champion. But I mean, you know, her work is like really steadily improved. So, um, you know, kudos to her for that. Um, we had a little bit of everything. I mean, like you said, a ladder match, uh, the Texas Death Match. Um, you know, so there. You know, that's you know when I I haven't listened to the scrum that they did, but every scrum I've listened to after the pay per view, so you say, oh, there's something for everyone." So that's uh, what it sounds like to me. You know, I know uh, some of the shows have been up and down lately, but they always seem to deliver for the pay per views. Um, and of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Uh, that Will Osprey is all elite, which is uh, I was gonna I was gonna mention that yeah yeah um you know I kind of started here looking seeing rumblings that that was gonna be the big reveal so I would have been really pissed off if it was somebody else I'm glad it's not Hogan I'm glad it's not Goldberg glad um, it wasn't Ron, Ronda Rousey oh that too um yeah so uh, thrilled that uh, Will Osprey is uh in 2024 is gonna be uh full-fledged member of AEW. That's, that's a huge shot in the arm for them, in my opinion. That's right, bruv. That's um, right. Yeah, but uh, Osprey, of course, uh, that was the big announcement that Will Osprey has officially signed with AEW. Uh, not effective immediately. He still has to finish out his contract with New Japan, which I believe runs out after Russell Kingdom, sometime in February, I want to believe. And then after that, AEW is home, so he'll be in there uh, some like right before uh, Revolution, sometime around that time period. He'll he'll be uh, in AEW, and um, 
yeah, I definitely was was excited for that. I know there had been some rumblings that uh, WWE was in contact with him, um, you know, as to kind of make, like sending feelers out about him. But yeah, in the end, he chooses AEW, and I'm very excited about it. How about, how about you, Bob? About the Will Osprey uh, announcement? I know he's your boy. What, what's your uh, reaction to all that? I was excited to see it. I kind of had a feeling it was, it was either going to be him or, or Sasha Banks, um, one or the other. Um, but I, I just feel like AEW allow, <clears throat> allows him to be himself. Um, you know, so many people have gone to the WWE and they've had to change the style of how they wrestle. And, and um, you know, they kind of get not watered down, but they're not, they're not the same person that they usually are. And I feel like AEW allows him to still be himself and do the moves that he does, and you know, still be uh, a trash talker on the, on the mic. And, you know, it, it gives him the opportunity to still be Will Ospreay. So when I saw that it was him, I was like, all right, sweet. Uh, look forward to see the matches. I mean, he's already had amazing matches with Kenny Omega, but now you got a a good roster to go out there and, and have more stellar opportunity matches with. So I look forward to it. Yeah. Also, uh, I saw in the free agent rumor mill, um, Kazuchika Okada, who uh, his contract with New Japan is going to be running out soon. And there are rumblings that WWE is interested in him as well. Maybe even more so now that uh, Will Ospreay has signed with AEW. Um Let's see. And there's reports saying that Triple H and company, they're kind of the reason why Shinsuke Nakamura has been getting a pretty big push as of late is to kind of send overtures towards Okada's way because Nakamura and Okada are pretty close and they want to send a message to Okada because um, in the past, a lot of the reasons why uh, non-English speaking wrestlers have kind of been put to the background is because of Vince. Vince doesn't think they're marketable, um, and that's why he never really did anything uh, with them, Shinsuke Nakamura included. And Triple H wants to send a message to, to uh, Okada by showing him the push that they're giving um, Nakamura now and letting him know that, hey, that was then this is now if you come over here um this could this kind of uh action could be waiting for you so i want to ask you both what's your thoughts on okada potentially going to wwe do you think he's better served there better served in aew or better served staying in new japan what's what are your thoughts let's start with you bob I think if he wants to test the waters again uh, and leave New Japan, I think he'd be better off in AEW again. Um, again, I think he'd have a, a better opportunity there. I, I understand what you're saying with Nakamura um, and saying, hey, it was Vince. But, I mean, if you ask Hideo Itami and if you ask Kushida when they were in NXT, um, which Triple H was running, they both will tell you how much they hated it, especially uh, – you know, um, Kenta. Kenta just absolutely despises his time at NXT, and that was run by Triple H. So um, I, I just think Okada would be better off. He's got that relationship with the Bucks. He's got the relationship with Omega. So it's just 
I think you're better off in AEW as well. I mean, they don't have – they could push Nakamura all they want, but how far have they pushed him since they've had him when he came over with AJ Styles? You know, yeah. and, and uh, the other two, the uh, the Good Brothers, you know, they if now is your, your, your chance for it, it's, I think they've had – I mean, maybe that's why they're pushing the women too. Well, the damage control women, you know, they're they're all hyping them up lately as well to try and show that you know we're we're trying to push foreign stars. But like you said they've they've had the opportunity, and many people have complained about it. So I think you'd be better off in AEW as well. Yeah. How about you, Adam? What are, what are your thoughts? Are the Good Brothers even on the roster anymore? I know, <laughs> I know well, AJ just, Styles is hurt, but they're still yeah, they're still there. <laughs> Uh, whatever I, I forgot about it till Bob mentioned it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of skeptical. I mean, yes, uh, obviously Nakamura's gotten a lot of TV time and much more of a push lately. But remember when he won the Intercontinental Title and never defended it? Yes, wasn't that like a Hulk Hogan's like Hulk Hogan's <laughs> last title reign? He won the title, never defended it till he lost it. So I and I know that was a couple of years back now, but I'm just I'm just skeptical. I think it's all just I mean it's smart. It's a smart idea. It's it's a smart way to try to lure someone like that in. I just you know when when uh, my witness test is always I close my eyes and I go, can I picture this guy in the WWE? And I think Osprey I would have been I could have maybe pictured it. But I just don't see it with Okada. I, I think, yeah, he's better off uh, staying where he's at in New Japan or, or going to AEW. You know, they have that working relationship. And even I've read today that Osprey's agreement will allow him to work in New Japan um, some shows um, if he wants to uh, going forward. So I think, uh, I think it was very smart of Tony Khan to get that relationship really solid and going and doing the Forbidden Door shows and stuff like that and Wrestle Dream because those guys feel uh, they're they're major parts of the show and they're over, so they know what they're getting. Yeah. And, yeah, I agree. I think either staying with New Japan or going to AEW is the the way to do it. Um, If you remember, they, they debuted Nakamura in NXT when he came over, and that was a wise thing to do because back in the day before AEW and all that, the, your, your usual NXT fan wasn't just uh, a fan of the WWE NXT fans had a better sense of what was going on in other parts of the wrestling world than your average, uh, just WWE man, main roster fan. Um, when it comes to Okada, they're not going to take a guy like Okada and debut him in NXT. That's you can't do that. So if they're going to get him, they're going to have to debut him on the main roster. And you have to ask yourself, does your average WWE fan who rarely gets out of the WWE bubble, are they going to be excited about Kazuchika Okada being in the WWE? That's a real question. They have to ask themselves, you know, because, mm-hmm. Your average WWE fan hasn't seen uh, the Wrestle Kingdom uh, matches between him and Omega. They haven't watched any um, New Japan at all. You know, they don't. I, I, I bet you anything, if you ask your average WWE main roster fan who Kazuchika Okada is, maybe 
two or three out of ten will probably say yes. That's not the ratio you want going forward, especially if you want to make an impact with this signing. So I would say if I were Okada, stay in the waters where people know who you are and appreciate what you are. But that's just me. Um, Yeah. And last bit of news for this episode. Last episode, we uh, talked about (laughs) um, the NWA. Yep. Exactly. Oh, my nose um, is running. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, where's the, NWA, where's the Reverend? Yeah. The NWA um, held a segment during their Sam Haynes slash Halloween pay-per-view where uh, the Sinister Minister, Reverend James Mitchell, did uh, cocaine with a bunch of strippers and masked wrestlers. And, you know, just a couple days before that, it had been announced that NWA had signed a national television deal with the CW. After that pay-per-view, that um, deal kind of fell through because Billy Corgan's a fucking idiot. Um, and Tonight's an the, ideas. Yeah, exactly. So, at, you know, but at the time when we recorded our last show, it had come that, you know, they were probably not going to be on the CW air. They were probably just going to be relegated to the CW app. Well, since then, um, <laughs> the CW turned around and got the the national television rights for NXT. So NXT is going to be moving from the USA Network to the CW, and NWA power is just done. That I mean... My God, that has to be, it has to go down in history as one of the dumbest fucking things a federation has ever done. You go from getting a national TV contract to being kicked to the curb for another federation in the span of less than a week because you were dumb and you wanted a cocaine spot on your pay-per-view. What the fuck? Oh, man. Um... What's your guys' reaction to this turn of events with uh, NWA being kicked to the side and NXT going to the CW? We'll start with you this time, Adam. You kind of stole my thunder because I was going to quote Sean Connery from The Rock and go, personally, I think you're a fucking idiot. You know? Yeah, um, there you go. I just, it defies all logic. It defies all explanation why you would screw yourself like that so badly i I, it just i don't know what i don't know what the deal is i just uh i I actually we were uh we went out last night and we're driving in the car and a pumpkin song came on the radio so i happened to tell my wife about what was going on with that and she's like what a moron and like you know she didn't even care about wrestling and uh i'm just like (sighs) Triple H is a guy, you know, one of the comments that uh, follows him around is, let's do what's good for business. Uh, you talk about just swooping in and going, oh, the CW want, uh, wants wrestling? Well, here we are. You know, I mean, he swooped right in, and you got you got to give him his props for that. He saw an opening, and he took it. Um, you know, again, it's not like being on NBC or Fox, but there will be a lot of eyes on the product, um, you know, you know, because CW is pretty much everywhere on broadcast channels. 
So that's good for them. That's good exposure for them. It would have been fantastic exposure for NWA. And, we, you know, a few short episodes, we were talking about, oh, well, they could be, you know, a number three or number four with this platform, but now they get nothing. Uh, I, I was reading this week that uh, production people are getting fired and, and uh, Corrigan's cutting costs left and right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, the end could be nigh uh, in that short a span, which is crazy. Um, I see a very good Dark Side of the Ring episode developing out of this, basically. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think when we discussed this, uh, one of you brought up that, that, that Billy Corgan is uh, on his way to becoming the next Herb Abrams, maybe. Yeah, maybe. How about your Bob? What are your thoughts on this whole situation? I just found it hilarious. Um, he... Uh, he comes out, he does some something so stupid because he says, well, it's pay-per-view. Um, you know, there, there's no rules to pay-per-view, so um, no one's going to be really paying attention to it, yet the executives still find out about it. And then after it comes down, I guess he's been uh, keeping to himself and pushing those away from him in the NWA circle. Um, he still came out and said that he's still going to pull off a TV deal. Uh, somehow he's still got other channels that are interested in him he says but uh, i found it hilarious um you know i i i know the history that he, he had here in uh the indie company of the resistance pro that he started here in chicago um i know how the two brothers that he worked with he said that uh they came out and pretty much said that billy screwed him over uh they tried to get a uh a reality show based on um uh, what's the channel that The Walking Dead is on? AMC. AMC, yeah. AMC. So he had, he had a reality show base. They were already starting to record uh, it, on the on the Resistance Pro thing, and then it kind of fell through. And then you know he pushed everybody aside. He screwed over the two other owners. So uh, yeah, I think it's kind of funny that it, it's all going down like this. So oh well. Oh well, exactly. you know, and I, and I and I hear him talk in interviews all the time about oh, all my contemporaries are dead. You know, he talks about Chris Cornell and and uh, you know uh, Elaine Staley and Scott Weiland to name a few, and that compels you to do an angle about cocaine. I just find that crazily ironic and even more bizarre. No, well, that's Billy Gorgon for you. <laughs> I like the Smashing Pumpkins, but nobody's ever accused him of being a genius. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it, it, it just boggles my mind how you could fumble something like that. Especially, like like you said, Adam, last week, um, uh, the name of the company was Nexstar? Yeah, Nexstar. Nexstar. They're famously more on the conservative side of things. How do you think they'd react to a fucking cocaine uh, segment in your fucking pay-per-view? You dipshit. You, man. Enjoy YouTube, because I I don't see you getting off of that anytime soon, Billy. But, yeah, there we go. That's the news for this week. So, without further ado, let's get to the task at hand, gentlemen. We have, again, another top... Well, in this case, 20 this week, doing another countdown this week. Um, 
a, a topic that we haven't done yet, surprisingly, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, revealing our choices for this week. It is our top 20 title changes. Um, title changes, as you know, uh, are a big part of of uh, professional wrestling. It's kind of the main reason why anything goes. You know, people want the belt, and you got to do what you can to get the belt. And the build-up to such an event is what professional wrestling is all about. That's how you get fans. It's how you keep fans. It's the chase for the championship. And when that championship uh, exchanges hands, it's a special moment. And it's happened countless times in the history of professional wrestling. And as we all found out when we were making our lists, it's really fucking hard to come up with a list of 25 of the best title changes of all time. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. You you said, you know, you had a really hard time singling it down to 25. What was your criteria? Like, what what were you really looking for when you finalized your list uh, to make a title change special? It was definitely hard. Um, I had a really hard time, especially trying to break it down to 15. That's why I asked if we could do more. Um, I looked at the importance of the title change and what it did to professional wrestling as a whole in some aspects, um, how memorable it was. Um, some of them I was there. Um, so, you know, just the feeling I had when I'm watching it, the feeling, you know, of, of you're, you're totally involved in this match. You're, you're on pins and needles with the false finishes and the near falls and everything like that. You're on the edge of your seat. Um, how excited I was with those. I, I thought about, you know, just how memorable the matches were. If, if I sit back and think of, hey, what's the greatest intercontinental championship match of all time? What, what pops into my head immediately and why it popped into my head? Those are things I was looking for, just memorable matches, especially that represent the belt and the title change and just um, what it did for that wrestler and the match itself in the industry. Yeah, same question to you, Adam. I kind of went a more emotional route in terms of, you know, um, who won it and how it made me feel when they won it. A lot of uh, selections on my list are, like, uh, guys who long overdue, who finally got their moment in the sun. Uh, the, that's a lot of my list. Also, <laughs> conversely, people I couldn't stand to have the belt anymore finally losing it to someone that I know and respect. And uh, so that's also a big part of my list. Um, but a lot of it had to do with, yeah, just um, the chase for it. And um, most of them, you know, some of the, to me, it's, it's just like, uh, yeah, a large part of it was the emotion I felt and, and, and uh, the happiness I felt that some great guys, uh, and, uh, you know, finally got their, their due um, for their for their hard work and uh, yeah, but also yeah, member memorable moments you know because a lot of those are you would call them WrestleMania moments or you know if you're talking about another company different pay per view but you know that's a generic term for WrestleMania moments. Where it's like oh, I remember when they won their a lot of them for me is their were their first titles. Um, you know that's that's kind of the route I went, but. Uh, but yeah, I think it'll be an interesting topic for sure. Like, very interesting to see what you guys said. 
All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Um, yeah, this is a top 20. So what happened is um, Bob, Adam, and myself, we all got our f- top 25 title changes. We had our top 20 and then five honorable mentions um, based on where each of us had uh, the title changes on our individual list. They were signed a point value and that point value determines where they ended up on our master list, which we're about to unveil to you now. Uh, we're going to go from number 20 up to number one. And like we do with these countdowns before we get to the top number one pick, we will give you our five honorable mentions. Those are picks that didn't get enough points to uh, make the top 10, but they did get enough points to at least garner a mention. All right, let's start off at number 20 in our top 20 title change uh, list. At number 20 comes in with 13 points, and it got the 13 points from being number 15 on my list, and it was number 14 on Bob's list. It is the British Bulldog winning the Intercontinental Championship over Bret Hart at SummerSlam 92. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. Tell us about Bulldog winning the IC belt over Bret Hart. This match, uh, for me, I remember the most, uh, the crowd. Um, This was SummerSlam 1992 for the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, I had a great storyline going into it. Um, You know, Brett and the British Bulldog being related. Uh, They were brother-in-laws. If you read Brett's book, he says that the Bulldog was out partying the night before. And uh, he doesn't remember anything about the match. Brett had to carry him through the entire match, which if you actually watch the match, it's a really, really good match. Um, but like I said, I really enjoyed the storyline going into this. Uh, the crowd was just fantastic with it, especially being a, in, in Wembley and the home of the British Bulldog. Uh, the family divided storyline, like I said, was great, but um, it, it was, the finish was cool. It was just the, uh, the roll up pin by the Bulldog. It was very simplistic. No finishers were involved or anything like that. The crowd went nuts. The family uh, gets reunited at the end, you know, Bulldog and Bret Hart hug at the end, and it was just a feel-good story all around. But just, uh, yeah, I think going back and thinking about it is just the fact of how hyped it was for being in Wembley, something different, and, you know, two good guys going at it at the same time, and and especially with family, they they put on a, a great match. So that's why I had it at number 14 on my list. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is a great match. Uh, I just recently uh, rewatched SummerSlam '92, and that crowd at Wembley Stadium was was they were great for the entire event. But when Bulldog comes out, they gave him a massive pop, and that the pop they gave him when he wins the match is like still one of the biggest pops I've ever seen at a wrestling event. And it was worth it, and it was earned because the match that he and uh, and and Brett had, uh, definitely the match of the night, and in my opinion, one of the best matches of that decade of the entire '90s. Just a great story that they told. Um, I like how uh, Bulldog's wife, um, who was it, Diana, right, Diana yep. Hart. Uh, Brett's sister, she gets involved and all three of them kind of, you know, hug in the, in the ring after the match is done. It was, it was just really well done. 
It's really well done, told a great story, and the title change uh, done on Bulldog's home turf was the cherry on top. So, yeah, that's why I had it at number 15 on my list. Uh, Adam, you didn't have this on your list, but you wanna, do you want to comment on it? Sure, it's a, it's a great choice. Um, I guess I forgot about that one. Uh, that's a really good choice. Um, yeah, uh, just like you both mentioned, the number of fans and and how over it was, um, you know, when AEW just did the the uh, the all the all in show um, in August when they announced Wembley Stadium, the first thing that came to mind was <laughs> Bret Hart and, and then British Bulldog, and what a huge success that was, and that was a holy shit moment for me because yeah, WWE had eighty thousand people at that match, and yeah, they, they were rocking in the seats. Uh, for that whole thing. Um, we kind of touched on it when we did our pay-per-view uh, review last week. I always said Davey Boy Smith was an underrated singles wrestler uh, when he, you know, obviously he had his struggles uh, with demons and stuff. But when he was on, he was on. Um, and, you know, Brett could say he carried the match completely. Um, you know, you still got to have a good dance partner or the match isn't going to be very good. So, um I'm sure he helped he talked them through it, but you know, it takes two to tango. So uh yeah, the just it was kind of it was the catalyst for so many uh mat, great matches involving Brett and his family uh to come to WWE for for five years. But yeah, that that's a good one. It stands out just because it's how massive it was. So uh good start. Okay. Well, there we go. At number 20 with 13 points, it's the British Bulldog winning the Intercontinental Championship over Bret Hart at SummerSlam 1992. All right, let's get to number 19 on our list. 19 comes in with 13 and a half points, and it got the 13 and a half points from being an honorable mention on Bob's list, and it was number eight on my list. It is the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, winning the... NWA World Heavyweight Championship from Harley Race at the first ever Starcade. Um, I picked this one so high on my list, not because of the match itself, like quality wise. It's a good match. Don't get me wrong. It's a really good match. But I, I put it so high just kind of for what it represented. Uh, the first Starcade is known as kind of the granddaddy of the pay per views. It was the first event. Uh, pretty readily available on closed circuit TV and in some markets, uh, pay-per-view on cable. Cable wasn't really uh, as widespread yet. This was December of 1983, um, that which makes it a good year plus before the first WrestleMania. Um, but yeah, the first arcade event, it's kind of cool. If you go back and watch it on Peacock, you can see it in its entirety, and you can see just how <laughs> how um, rudimentary the, the, the event is. There's no graphics. There's no, like, big-time flash to it. It's just, it's, it's just a nuts-and-bolts broadcast with a lot, of, a lot of mistakes, a lot of dead air, because they were kind of, like, learning on the fly, I guess. But it's cool to watch it. Um, just as the event it is. And it was capped off by the championship match. It's Ric Flair, the, the baby face in this case, going up against the champion Harley Race in a steel cage. And it's, you know, the crowds 
fucking ultra into it. Old school. I mean, this is this is the epitome of just an old school great NWA match for the championship, and ultimately Flair um, gets gets the victory. Does a a high cross body onto onto Harley Race and ends up winning the championship. Crowd goes nuts, and Flair has the belt. And it's like I said, it's the match itself. Good, not great, but good. But I put it so high just because of what it represented. It was the, you know, it it was the first time that, um, you know, an event like that could be seen readily by people just across the country if they wanted to. So yeah, that's why I had it so high on my list. Uh, Bob, you had it as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about Flair over Harley Race? This is another one. I, I really enjoyed the storyline for it. Um, if you remember, Race was a veteran champ. Flair was up and coming, so he puts the, the $25,000 bounty on him. Um, yeah. You know, they, they, they take out Flair. He retires. He comes back. He takes out Bob Orton Jr. He takes out Dick Slater, and then he says, I'm coming for Harley Race. Um, the reason I had it so far down on my list, um, like you said, it wasn't the greatest of matches. Um, and then it also has that botch finish at the end. You mentioned the high cross body. If you remember, it's in the cage. Gene Kaninsky's the uh, the special ref. Yeah. He does a bump. Race is supposed to fall over him backwards. Race completely misses him. He, like, barely trips over his ankle over anything. And... Uh, you know, he, he barely catches Flair, too, on that high cross body. He wasn't in position. Mm-hmm. Flair dives. He has to move over and catch him. Um, but, I mean, it was still the the passing of the guard, how the baby's faces come out to celebrate with Flair. You know, Harley's just sitting there by himself. But it was a huge moment. I had That's why I put it on my list. But I think it's just the, uh, the fact of it wasn't that stellar of a match as to why I put it down. Yeah. Adam, any comments? Yeah, I'm with, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm with Bob. Um, it just missed my list, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that botch finish kind of sticks out my brain a little bit. Um, there was no Ricky Steamboat cross body block. Um, you know, but yeah, definitely we're talking about just, uh, again, the magnitude of it, as you mentioned, the availability of it, and uh, the C2 of the my personal two, uh, two best NWA champions of all time. I think you guys would agree. Uh, that's that's a great way to kick off Starcade, uh, the first one. Uh, what better main event? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one to talk about, too. Yeah. So there we go. At number 19 with 13 and a half points, Ric Flair winning the NWA championship over Harley Race at the first Starcade. All right, let's get to number 18. Number 18 comes in with 14 points. And it got the 14 points from being number seven on my list. It is Steve Austin over the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, at WrestleMania 18. Or no, not 18, 14. I'm sorry. WrestleMania 14 uh, in 1998. Um, again, this is another one where um, it's high on my list, not because of the quality of the match, but because of what it really represented and everything that went into it. Um, this was probably, um, in my opinion, uh, 
one of my most anticipated main events ever when I was a, a wrestling fan, just because of what they what the WWE put into this match. You had um, Austin, who was just quickly rising to the pinnacle, going up against HBK as the champ. Um, as we now know, in uh, retrospect, he was dealing with a really bad back injury, and he was going to be uh, out of commission for a long time after this match. But um, he and uh, he and uh, Triple H, as part of DX, were uh, really good foils for Austin coming in. And then, of course, the addition of Mike Tyson as the special referee. Um, you know, he aligning with uh, DX right before the pay-per-view uh, was going to was gonna go on. Uh, a lot of intrigue going into this match. And like I said, the match quality itself, not the greatest. Uh, it was definitely apparent that Michaels was not in the best of health, um, but he did his best to get through the match. And I thought the match itself, while not great, was definitely good. And But like what I said, it's so high on my list. because of what it represented and what it represented was the beginning of the stone cold era. You know, you had Austin who was red hot at that moment of time, him finally getting the championship belt and getting placed firmly on top of the WWE where he would stay for about another five or six years until he, until he was calling it quits. Um, Yeah. It for, like I said, for what it represented and stone cold, Going to the pinnacle and uh, ushering in the Austin era. That's why I had it so high on my list. Uh, neither one of you guys had this on your list. Bob, do you have any comments for uh, Austin versus HBK? It barely missed. Um, I mean, because obviously the, the era of Steve Austin was huge. And with regards to professional wrestling, one of the reasons why I had it towards the back was, again, the quality of the match. I mean, again, I love the storyline. I loved, you know, the Tyson involvement in it and Tyson and DX. And uh, even Vince was against Austin at that time. So Jim Ross on the call is fantastic. Um, but it's just the uh, – I think the quality of the match is what kind of pushed it back towards the, the end cap. But it, it barely, barely missed for me. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Yeah, I think the same. Um, I did gain a real level of respect for Shawn Michaels uh, during this match because, as he said, he could barely walk at a certain point and gut it out like that. You know, at that time, you know, he was – everybody hated him. He was a headache backstage. He was a prima donna. He was a shit stirrer. But, I mean, when it came down to it, he was professional. He did his job. You know, the the objective was to get Austin over. Um, start a new era and, and the fact he did it with with such a screwed up back uh really gained a lot of respect from that day and and uh yeah it was definitely uh, a huge wwf moment uh but it was just it was predictable you knew it was going to happen so i think that's kind of why i didn't go with it because it was obvious how the match was going to turn out um but it's it's definitely uh definitely a huge moment uh in the history. Um, so I could totally see why you put it high on your list. All right. So there we go at number 18 with 14 points. It is Steve Austin winning the championship over Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. 
All right, let's get to number 17 on our list. 17 comes in also with 14 points, and it got the 14 points from being number seven on Bob's list. It is the bad guy, Reza Ramon, winning the Intercontinental belt over Shawn Michaels in a ladder match at WrestleMania 10. Bob, let's talk about it. Razor over HBK at WrestleMania 10 in a ladder match. Yeah, this was for the... Uh, they were... Shawn Michaels had the storyline where he was suspended, uh, but he claimed he came back with the uh, IC belt saying he never lost the title. Razor had won the title during uh, Michaels' suspension, so we had two Intercontinental Champions, so they decided to make it a vacant internet, uh, Intercontinental title. And uh, this is the, the famous ladder match. Uh, back in 1994, ladder matches weren't that big. So to see this, uh, you know, especially on a WrestleMania, that was huge. Uh, it was a great stipulation for the storyline, like I said, that they had together. Um, a lot of bumps that you hadn't seen in a very long time, especially with Michaels coming out. He was just fantastic in that match. Just, uh, crazy bumps, considering it was 94. A lot of back-and-forth action. They used the ladder perfectly in that match. And I feel like after that match was over, it kind of elevated both guys to, to more of a stardom in the WWE, especially Razor and Shawn Michaels. Like I said, they just took off from there. Um, I always love the finish of that match, how Michaels just falls and gets caught in the ropes. And, you know, Razor goes up and picks up the, the titles at the end and just holds them there. And like I said, just uh, 1994, you weren't used to many ladder matches. So this is one of the matches that uh, sticks out to me just because of the importance of it and the two people involved. So that's why I had it high up on my list. Yeah, this one just barely missed my list. Uh, I love this match. Um I remember first seeing it in 1994 and my mouth was just open the entire time. Cause I had never really seen a ladder match before up to that point. And just how creative these guys were with their spots involving the ladder, just entertaining as hell, just a fun match to watch even now, you know, cause now you're so used to ladder matches being like huge spot fests, guys jumping off the ladder to the outside of the ring on top of another ladder, just really dangerous shit. But, you know, this ladder match just shows you that even um, doing kind of like more simple, less less uh, high-risk stuff with the ladder can be just as engaging. Because this match has aged really well. It's still a really fun match to watch. Uh, like I said, just missed my list, but a great pick. Adam, any thoughts on this match? Yeah, I agree with what you said just now. Um, I just missed my list, too. Um, yeah, holds up, holds up great. Um, you know, I could, I could see very early that Shawn Michaels was, was going to be huge just because of the style and how he wrestled, but this was like a real coming out party for me for, for Scott Hall. Um, again, obviously a lot bigger, uh, than Shawn taller, not quite as agile, but that guy could freaking work. He really could. Uh, we've said it before in other episodes, guy just, uh, when he was on, another one, when he was on, he was really on. And he, he kept up with them every step of the way. Um, yeah, you know, I always talk about the stench of WrestleMania 9, but WrestleMania 10 was awesome, and then and, and this was the best match on the card. Yeah. So there we go. At number 17, with 14 points, it is Razor Ramon winning the Intercontinental Championship over... The Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 10 in a ladder match. 
All right, let's get to number 16 on our list. Number 16 comes in with 14 and a half points. And it got the 14 and a half points from being an honorable mention on my list. And Adam, you had this at number seven on your list. It is Brett the Hitman Hart winning the WWF Championship belt from Yokozuna at the same WrestleMania 10 we just talked about. Uh, Adam, you had this at number seven on your list. So let's talk to you. What do you have to say about Bret Hart beating Yokozuna? Anyone who's listened to this show for more than 15 minutes knows I'm a huge Bret Hart, Mark. Um, but what what sticks out to me about this one is um, I actually just kind of mentioned it. The WWF title kind of stunk, picture stunk for a little while. Um, you know, you had the bullshit with Hulk Hogan at the end of WrestleMania 9. Yokozuna went on the heel run after he got the belt back. I thought he was a great heel champion, but you know, when 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 you're a teenager like I was at the time, it's like I don't want to heel as the champion. Who's going to beat him? You know, the the whole Lex Express thing. We've we've talked about that multiple times. Uh, you know, they celebrated his count out victory at SummerSlam, which was one of the stupidest fucking things they ever did. That the pay per view, um, stuff like that uh, at the Royal Rumble. Undertaker doesn't get the title either. He he goes away. Um, so it's like just like what what are we gonna do here? Um, you know, and later at the Royal Rumble, Luger and Bret Hart tie. I was not a Luger fan, so I was pissed that Bret Hart just didn't win it outright. So they did the the whole thing where Yoko had to de- defend the belt twice, as it turned out, because he beat Luger in the first match. And by DQ, and then he faces Bret Hart. So um, it was just a great moment uh, because I just felt it, it added some credibility back to the belt. It got me excited about it again. So as a fan, I was really, really super jazzed about it. There was another moment where, uh, you know, all the faces came out at the end of the match, put Bret up on on the cho- on their shoulders, and I remember Macho Man standing on top on the top row pointing at Brett and everyone's happy and excited. And then you had Owen standing off in the distance, sneering and pissed off. Uh, he had beaten them clear cleanly to start the pay-per-view and now Brett gets all the limelight again. And it, you know, it kickstarted what they were going to do at SummerSlam that year in the cage. So it was just like, uh, it was, WWF was kind of struggling at that time. And I felt that kind of righted the ship and gave credibility back to the belt again. So that's that's why I've got it high on my list. And again, WrestleMania 10, I thought it was a very underrated pay-per-view. It was a great ending. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had it as an honorable mention. Uh, just to see uh, Bret Hart, who, like you said, uh, they were going to put the, put the belt on and have him go and be the face of the company. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely is a better... Uh, <laughs> better uh, better option than what they did the year before um you know with the whole hogan thing but um yeah i i and also like you said it gives it gives extra credit to it because brett did did double duty that night having that really great match with owen and then at you know being in the main event and winning the belt against yokozuna and i love how they paid that off you know with owen uh, like you said, at the end, staring in the ring like, you son of a bitch, after he wins the belt. Um, yeah, just a really, really great match. Uh, yeah, that's why I had it in my honorable mentions. Bob, you didn't have it on your list, but anything to add for Bret Hart over Yokozuna? 
Piper was the special ref, right on that one. Yeah, you're you're correct. Yeah. Um, the reason I didn't put it on there is um, I thought it was Bret Hart had an amazing match with his brother at the very beginning, like Tony just mentioned. And you know, this is the second match. This is also Yokozuna's second match where he had with Luger. And I just felt like Brett pretty much carried the whole thing. Yoko was just dead ass tired, and uh, it wasn't that stellar of a match. I mean, I uh, I was happy for for Brett winning the title, like you said, everyone celebrating at the end. But uh, I just thought his, his match with Owen was better, and that was the one where we just mentioned Shawn Michaels and Razor stole the show that night. So uh, this is one of the reasons why I didn't put it on the list. All right, well. There we go. With 14 and a half points at number 16, it is Bret Hart over Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10. All right, let's get to number 15 on our list. Number 15 comes in with 16 points, and it got the 16 points from being number five on Bob's list. It is the Lucha Brothers winning the AEW Tag Team Belts over the Young Bucks in a steel cage at AEW All Out 2021. Bob, you had this at number five on your list. Tell us about the match. This is one where I mentioned earlier I was actually in attendance. Uh, my brother and I were there, and you got all four of these guys, just amazing athletes, all four of them in a steel cage. Uh, the Becks were defending. The, uh, they were the defending champ. The Lucha Bros had won the tournament to get in for this title shot. Um it was just the spot fest was insane. I mean, if you remember, they do the thumbtacks on the shoe when they're doing the super kicks. There's fucking blood everywhere. Um, and it was just like a lot of false finishes, especially towards the end. The crowd was so involved into it. And I was just at the edge of my seat. I mean, I, it was just I wanted the Lucha Brothers to win so badly. And then when it finally happened, you just get that moment of like, you know, like the moment of relief when it actually happens. Uh, That's just super happy for him. Uh, but just to be able to be there, the crowd made that match special. The athletes made it so much special as well. So uh, I had it so high up on my list because it's probably one of the best matches I've ever seen live. So that's why I had it as, num- as number five. Nice. How about you, Adam? Anything to add? Yeah, it's a great pick. Um, again, that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning. Um you know, just, just seeing guys get their due. Uh, I remember going in that, to that match not knowing it was going to win, which is pretty cool in itself. Um, and as Bob mentioned, you know, just four great athletes doing their thing. They just had such great chemistry together. But, you know, uh, to see the Lucha Brothers finally get, get some gold after all their hard work in AEW and in, in other places before that, um, you know, that it's a tremendous moment. Uh, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an awesome pick in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, if you remember when we did our match of the year for 2021, all three of us had this match as match of the year, um, totally missed making my list just because I honestly, I forgot about it. And if I would have been thinking clearly, it probably would have made my list. Like you said, it's a spot fest, but it's not. Um, a spot fest in a in a negative way. It's very much in a positive way. These guys put it all out on the line. Fucking Penta looked like he get, was in a fucking car crash by the by the end of the match. Um, it's and everything you would ever want from a tag team match. And 
still one of the better tag team matches I've ever seen. And I'm jealous of you, Bob, that you got to see it live. But yeah, definitely deserves its place on this list. And that's where it's at, at number 15 with 16 points. It is the Lucha Brothers winning the AEW Tag Team Belts over the Young Bucks at All Out 2021. Next, we go to number 14 on our list. And number 14 comes in with 17 points. And it got the 17 points from being number four on Bob's list. And I'm pissed off because this one totally got out of my memory. And if I had been thinking clearly, it definitely would have been on my list, but I just fucking forgot it. It is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat winning the Intercontinental Belt from Randy Macho Man Savage at WrestleMania 3. Bob, you had this at number four on your list. Tell us about Savage beating Steamboat. Probably, again, one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. Uh, 1987, Savage was your IC champ for over 400 days. Steamboat's your popular challenger. If you remember the buildup, Savage uh, had attacked Steamboat, actually injured his throat. Uh, Steamboat's out for a while, and then he finally comes back. Massive pop when he comes back. And then we all know about the classic of a match that they put on. I mean, the chemistry between the two was just great. Um, it was choreographed to a T. Um, just even the basic finish, the small package at the end. Uh, but that was another one, just counter after counter and false finish after false finish. It's just um, I felt that this set the bar for a great classical wrestling match back then, especially in 1987. You know, it's just you go back and you watch and it still holds, you know, the test of time here in 2023, just still one of the best matches of all time. So uh, I definitely had to put this high up on my list because, um, yeah, it's it's a classic. So number four on my list. Yeah. Like I said, I, when I saw it on your list, I'm like, motherfucker, I forgot <laughs> this match. And it would have been really high on my list if I was thinking clearly. And it would have definitely been higher on the master list. But alas, so like you said, this was a really fucking hard list to come up with because there have been so many title change matches that great ones like this one could totally slip your mind. And that's what happened with me on uh, this match. Like you said, one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time, bar none. It's a legend at this point, you know? Um, yeah. It definitely deserves its place on the list. I can't argue with it. Uh, Adam, any thoughts on uh, Steamboat Savage? It wasn't on your list either. Pretty much what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow this one evaded me too. I don't know if it was because it was a little older. I don't know. I don't really have a good excuse. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, again, that's that's another, you know, if, if, I, if I just kind of, unconsciously think about WrestleMania moments that's that's up there. Um just from the quality of the match. Again, you well, I don't know how many people you had. That's a pissing contest between Tony Khan and Vince McMahon. How many people are actually at uh the Silverdome? Who cares? There are a lot of fucking people there. And uh yeah, they were they're totally into it. Um it just felt huge for that reason. And and again the quality of the match, yeah, the storyline going into it. And then just the competitors. I mean, two of the best to ever do it. So, yeah. Shame on us, Tony. Yeah, exactly. But it's still in our top 20 where it belongs. 
Ricky the Dragon Steamboat winning the Intercontinental Belt over Ricky or over uh, Randy Macho Man Savage at number fourteen with seventeen points. All right, let's get to number thirteen on our list. Number thirteen comes in also with seventeen points, but he got the tiebreaker because it was on all three of our lists. Bob had it as an honorable mention. Adam had it as an honorable mention, and it was all the way up at number five on my list. It is Kofi Kingston over Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35. Um, this is so high on my list because, you know, a lot of us sometimes we we really dog WWE on their creative and the way that they kind of book things leading up to, especially towards WrestleMania. This is an instance where they did everything correctly. Uh, what they, what they kind of did was they took... Um, what they did with Daniel Bryan going into WrestleMania 30, five years earlier, um, and just switched places. They they took uh, Kofi Kingston, who was a well much well loved wrestler who's been with the company forever, part of the New Day, which is one of the more overstables in the company at the time. And everybody loves Kofi; he's a true underdog, never won the heavyweight championship. Um, and they had him go through the same trials and tribulations that Daniel Bryan did, like I said, leading up to WrestleMania 30. Um, but this time, the, the neat twist was Daniel Bryan was the championship champion this time. Um, he was the heel champion. If you remember, he was uh, doing his heel environmentalist uh, angle, and his belt was made out of hemp. That's and right. Was to- and it was totally biodegradable. Uh, <laughs> but... um. They did a really great job building this match up to the point where, you know, everybody kind of knew what the results should be, but you're still kind of, you never really knew with WWE. Vince could at the last minute be like, no, I'm not giving the fucking belt to Kofi. It's not happening. But it ends up being that Kofi beats Daniel Bryan in a really, really great match. It's one of the better WrestleMania matches in in uh within the last um i would say last 5 5 or 10 years just everything around it the pop after Kofi wins the match is unbelievable you get um the new day coming out and just weeping tears of absolute joy like genuine tears cuz they're so happy for Kofi winning the championship um it was just a really great moment that WWE ended up invalidating uh, months later when they had Kofi job to Brock Lesnar in five seconds. But that being besides the point, uh, the the moment that Kofi wins that championship belt is one of the greater moments in recent WWE history, and that's why I had it at number five on my list. Uh, Bob, you had this as an honorable mention. What do you have to say about Kofi over Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35? You mentioned how great uh, of a match was. Uh, again, I, I really enjoyed the storyline. One of the reasons I put it down lower was because of the fact that they rehashed the Daniel Bryan storyline. Um, but I did enjoy the match thoroughly. I loved um, how New Day was there to celebrate with him, uh, just the emotion on all of them. I loved how they showed the wrestlers in the back watching the match, and you got to see them celebrate when, when Kofi won. Uh, it was just very, very big for the company, very big for Kofi and New Day, and just uh, a great feel-good story. Um, 
But just like I said, the reason I just put it on, I even love the announcing. Michael Cole was fantastic during that match, but uh, just the fact that they rehashed the storyline because, I mean, I don't know if they'll talk about it, but I, I had Daniel Bryan, Batista, Orton. I had that match uh, high up on my list, so we'll see if we talk about that one later. Yeah, but um, what I also loved, there was also like a viral video of when it happened. You had um, MVP. MVP and um, Shelton Benjamin. Chad. Or, uh, yeah, Chad, I'm sorry. And um, they were, neither one was with the company at that point. They were genuinely reacting to the match, and they were in tears. And that was mm-hmm. re- just a really cool thing to see. Just how affected it was just seeing Kofi uh, become one of, shamefully, one of the few African-American wrestlers to win that belt. Um, Adam, what are your feelings on Kofi over Brian at WrestleMania 35? Yeah, I agree with you guys completely. It was such a feel-good. I wasn't even watching wrestling regularly then, but uh, the, the, you know, I had heard about it. and Yeah, just the good vibes it created and... and uh, the excitement it created around fans and like you said, uh, his peers alike. Um, I love a good underdog story. Um, not just wrestling, but you know, sports movies, you, you name it. I'm, I'm a sucker for an underdog story. And this was a great one. Um, I think the reason why I didn't have it higher on my list, uh, is the aftermath, obviously. Um, it's a great moment. I'm glad they did it, you know, because it adds that air of that air of unpredictability that we all love about professional wrestling, and and to see somebody who worked so hard for so long to get to the top of the mountain, I, it's just that never gets old for me. But of course, like you mentioned, uh, they they they've done not much with him since of any substance, and that's that's a real shame because he's a talented guy. He's a he's a company guy and. It deserves better, but uh, for that moment, you know, that was one of the greatest stories they they could come up with. Yeah. So there we go. At number 13 on our list with 17 points, it is Kofi Kingston winning the WWF champ or WWE championship over Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35. All right, let's get to number 12 on our list. Number 12 comes in with 18 points. And it got the 18 points from being number three on Adam's list. It is Rob Van Dam winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. Adam, you had this all the way in your top three. Tell us about RVD over John Cena. I said at the beginning, uh, my criteria... um guys getting what they deserve and guys I couldn't stand having the belt. Uh, so this fits the bill in both cases. Um, we've talked about it before, but again, um, this was the second one night stand show. Uh, of course, Rob Van Dam wasn't on the first one. He was injured. Uh, he got, he was there cutting a promo, but he didn't get to participate. So he gets the, uh, the title match. I think he won money in the bank, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's where he picked uh, his title shot to be at one night stand on his home turf uh, was at the Manhattan Center, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so was at the Manhattan Center. ECW crowd, obviously, it was like <laughs> crazy uh, in favor of RVD. Um, you know, you guys give Cena his flowers for for showing up and doing and doing the match because he had a tremendous amount of heat on him, and I'll give him his flowers for that too. Um, 
just everybody hated the shit out of him. And I, I of course, wasn't a fan and I didn't like what he was doing. So, and I loved RVD. Um, so uh, I loved the shit out of this match for that reason. Because uh, I always felt Van Dam, you know, Van Dam, Van Dam didn't get to wear the world title in ECW. It went out of business before that could even happen. So for him to to get to the top of the mountain, it was just a feel good moment because it was like going back in time because of the environment and and the the fact it was an ECW show and he beat one of my least favorite wrestlers. It was just it was just the perfect cocktail for me and the crowd, of course, was just as you would expect the ECW crowd to be, just <laughs> hilarious. You know, just all the chants and all the stuff, the, all the heat they were given. It was just uh, pure joy for me to watch, basically. So that's that's how it got up so high on my list. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good match. I remember enjoying it a lot when I first saw it. Um, I, I saw it, I rewatched it again recently, and um, I maybe I didn't notice it at the time, but going back on and watching it, um, you know, Cena, I don't know if they were doing this just to work the crowd and get the crowd really into it, but Cena was in control of the match uh, for the majority of it, I think. Um, you know, he had pretty good control over RVD, was, uh, was handling him pretty well until RVD kind of fought back. But even still with all of that, um, RVD still needed interference from Edge at the end in order to win the belt, which I thought cheapened it a bit, you sure, know? I can, um, I can roll with that, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's like WWE was like, okay, we're going to give you the belt, but not without some shenanigans, which, you know, in at an event with like ECW One Night Stand, yeah, of course, interference is going to be legal in an ECW type match. But again, having ha- having to uh, rely on Edge's interference to win the match, it it kind of fell flat with me, and that's kind of why I didn't have it on my list. But it's still good; it's still a really good match. I have no qualms with it being on your list. Uh, Bob, how about you? What's your feelings on uh, RVD versus John Cena at One Night Stand? I really loved the match. I enjoyed the match. Uh, I, I think you hit it on the nail where you said, you know, the the edge uh, interference kind of cheapens the match. And, you know, there, there's no ref. Paulie's the one that comes and does it. Um, still just a tremendous feel-good moment, especially, you know, for, for those that followed the career of Rob Van Dam and to see him finally, like Adam said, get the flowers that he deserved just for, you know, the career that he's had and always never winning the title when he was actually in ACW. Um, so it was, it's the crowd is just what makes that match for me too. I mean, especially at the beginning, Cena throws his shirt into the crowd and you know, the, the, the big guy that just starts wiping his ass with the shirt and throws That's it back at him and flips him off. It's just always one of my all time favorite. That crowd was phenomenal. The Cena wins yeah. the riot. I'm getting exactly. excited about it. Just hearing that again. <laughs> Well, there we go. At number 12 with 18 points, it is Rob Van Dam winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. All right, let's get to number 11 on our list. Number 11 comes in with nine, excuse me, 19 points. 
and he got the 19 points from being number two on Bob's list. It is Kenny Omega winning the IWGP North American title over Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom 17. Bob, you had this at number two. Tell us about Omega over Osprey. This one just happened recently, um, January 2023. Omega left New Japan for AEW. Uh, Osprey was being billed as the successor for Omega. Omega was feeling that Osprey wasn't doing a good job, so he came back to claim his throne. And you know these guys go at it, and it was just a thirty-five minute classic. I mean, one of my all-time favorite matches just to watch, especially. Um, you know, it's to, to me probably one of the matches of the year this year. High candidate for it um, because it fucking it de- it delivered it, it in every aspect of the way. The spots were insane, the dives that they were doing, just the moves, the head spikes that they would do. Um, there's so many times when I would just say, holy shit, during that match, because it just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then when it finally ended, you're like, God damn. Um, I just look forward to the, to the rest of the rivalry and the other matches that continues to follow this up. And, you know, they, they did that as well with, uh, part two, but I still want to see another third one come between these guys because these dudes have fantastic chemistry in the ring and they just tell a great story. So that's why I had it number two on my list. Yeah, this is a great match, and I, I I don't know. This is another one that just slipped my mind. Otherwise, it probably would have been on my list. But, yeah, great first match between these guys at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, like you said, the spots were awesome. I mean, these are two of the best wrestlers in the world today, and they don't disappoint. They didn't disappoint in this match. They didn't disappoint in the second match of Forbidden Door later on in the year. They definitely deserve to have a trilogy. Um, And that's probably going to happen at some point now that Will Ospreay is with AEW. Uh, Be that, you know, sooner rather than later, they may keep part three till uh, all in in London again next year. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the first of the of the potential three uh, is a classic. And I definitely agree with you. I have no problems with it being number two on your list and being uh, at number 11 on this list. Adam, what are your thoughts on Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom? I say we haven't seen the match yet, so uh, is there a way someone could hook a brother up? I think you can watch it. I think it's on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? Okay. Well, of course, I've heard great things, uh, not just from you guys, but from anywhere uh, I read stuff. Yeah. know on paper obviously you just know it's going to be great so um yeah and that's it's a great storyline i remember the promos for it and everything and uh it really hyped the match up and uh yeah that's that's a great pick because yeah those guys have got chemistry for days and that's why i'm excited to see that uh osprey's going to be around AEW full-time you know get another match in with kenny and See, uh, see who else is on the docket for him. But yeah, you just mentioned Wembley Stadium, and that'd be freaking insane. So, uh, yeah, let's let's make that happen. Yeah. Well, there we go. At number eleven, with nineteen points, it is Kenny Omega over Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year in twenty twenty three. All right, let's get to number ten on our list. Number ten comes in with twenty points. 
and it got the 20 points from being an honorable mention on both Bob and Adam's list, and it was number two on my list. It is the day that birthed Hulkamania. It is Hulk Hogan over the Iron Sheik for the WWF Championship. Uh, This was January 1984 um, at Madison Square Garden. Again, um, this is a match that I ranked highly, not because of the quality of the match, because it's it's a house show match. It's a you know, it's not anything spectacular. In fact, the match is only about five minutes long. It's not it's not an epic match. Um, It's what the match represented and what it represented was the birth of Hulkamania and that era of wrestling just breaking professional wrestling through to the mainstream. If it wasn't for this match and if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan winning the championship, I may not be the wrestling fan I am today because I glommed on to WWF uh, and Hulk Hogan both when I was a very small kid. And, you know, without that happening, like I said, I don't know how big of a wrestling fan I'd be if, if I'd even be one. Um, as you all know, I'm not crazy about the Hulkster nowadays. I was going to say, Tony, what did you call him again? Uh, oh, well, he's a fucking racist piece of shit now, but <laughs> you couldn't. I didn't know that back when I was five years old. Understood. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, what this what this match represented and how important it was to professional wrestling going forward. That's why I had it so high. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts on Hogan over the Sheik? Yeah, um, I wanted to have it on my list for sure because, yes, I agree 100%. Um, it's a huge moment. One of the first moments on my radar uh, as far as professional wrestling goes because, you know, I, I I would see wrestling on TV and I knew Hogan was the big figurehead. I remember seeing him on cover Sports Illustrated and in movies and on, all over the place. Um, I remember seeing the match and yeah, it generated a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, but I, I wasn't, the reason I don't have it higher is because I wasn't a full fledged wrestling fan. So I didn't have, it didn't hit me the same way it probably hit you. And, and as you mentioned, it was kind of a short match too. Uh, but it definitely deserves to be talked about because that was a huge moment for professional wrestling uh, i i'd smile a little bit because i heard you talking about the match and i'm just thinking about when vince tried to catch lightning in the bottle twice and do the same shit with diesel and bob backland about 10 years later and what a epic flop that was yeah how about you bob what are your thoughts on hogan over the sheik the reason like i put it on my list was because of the importance you know like you said it was the birth of Hulkamania. It changed wrestling forever, you know. And again, your your typical great storyline. You, you have the baby face, uh, you know, that everyone supports, and you had the evil foreign bad guy that everyone wants to lose, and no no one could escape the camel clutch. And when Hogan gets out of it, uh, you know, the crowd's going nuts, and uh, Gorilla Monsoon Hulkamania is going wild. It's just the rest was history, you know. It just took off from there, and. You know, wrestling became such a big mainstay after that because of this of this match. That's why I had it on my list. Um, the reason I just had it so low was, like you said, you nailed it at the very beginning. It wasn't the greatest of matches, and it was only five minutes. I mean, the significance is huge, but just the fact of the, the match itself was just 
over and done with super quick. That's why I had a low on on the list, but it's still definitely a great pick. Yeah. So there we go. At number 10 with 20 points, it is Hulk Hogan winning the WWF belt over the Iron Sheik. All right, let's get to number nine. Number nine comes in with 22 points, and it got the 22 points from being number 15 on Bob's list, and it was number five on Adam's list. And again, I'm kicking myself in the ass for forgetting about this match because I have gone on record many a time saying this is my favorite WrestleMania match of all time. It is Chris Benoit winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 20. Uh, Adam, you had this at number five on your list, so let's start with you. Tell us about Benoit winning the championship. Yeah, um, Chris Benoit popped on my radar um, during his days. Obviously, he started out in you know he worked in Japan. Uh, he worked at WCW. He's also an ECW. But really, my biggest exposure to him was was WCW first on. Uh, that's where he first caught my attention doing the matches. Uh, Best of seven series with Booker T, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy's an awesome wrestler. You know, he gets in the Horseman later on, uh, wins the WCW title, and it's you know, I just uh, I was I was a diehard WWF guy, but I would switch to WCW just to watch Chris Benoit wrestle. I liked him that much. Then of course the Radicals all jumped uh, to WWE, and I was jazzed about that. Uh, obviously, I was most excited about him and Eddie, but all, having all four of those guys over was awesome. And sure. I, I was like, yes. And it was like, God, Vince has got to give him a title, you know, because I, I kind of felt like he got the title reign at WCW so he wouldn't leave, which obviously backfired on them. Um, so I wanted to see him legit win the title. You know, he won the IC belt. I think he won the European title. But I always wanted to see him win the big one uh, just because he was so good at what he did. Another memorable match, him and Bret Hart uh, going at it in WCW as a tribute to Owen. I think a year after Owen died, I mean, the, the guy just was awesome. Uh, I remember The Rock uh, looked like he won the title from The Rock, and they got he got screwed out of that. And I remember being legitimately angry and pissed off about it. So uh, I begin to kind of gave up hope, and then they gave him the the match at WrestleMania against uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, and I'm like, I thought this might be it. Yeah, I was very invested in it, but I'm like, well, he's facing Shawn Michaels and Triple H, so anything can happen. But uh, he winds up getting the title. He gets Triple H to tap, and that was one of the most excited I've ever been uh, with somebody winning a title at WrestleMania because. You just talk about a guy who put his heart and soul into the into the business and into the matches. Uh, persistence pays off, and it was great to just finally feel that triumph for him. Obviously, you know that moment was great. We know what happened later. I'm just focusing on on that part of his career, and, and it was it was a huge moment and one of the, my favorite world title wins ever. Just because again, it was like he finally got his due, and that's that's a WrestleMania moment and. Great title changes are all about uh, celebrating somebody for being at the top. Yeah. How about you, Bob? You had this match at number 15 on your list. Adam nailed it with, you know, being one of the the, the huge moments with, you know, the, the, the championship win. I mean, again, a great storyline. You know, Triple H is your champ. He's feuding with HBK. 
Benoit wins the Royal Rumble. HBK gets involved to make it a triple threat. And what I loved about this is, you know, the WWE was always huge superstars who who could do it all. And here comes Benoit. I mean, the guy could one of the best pure technical wrestlers everywhere, but he wasn't tall. He wasn't an amazing talker. He was just straight into the point and they gave him a shot, you know, and, and the crowd went nuts for him when he won. I'll always remember Jim Ross on the call. That was great. Uh, given his career breakdown was great during the match. The finish was fantastic with the cross face. Triple H, you know, tries to reverse it and then he nails it again in the center. I'll always love the Eddie, Eddie Guerrero at the very end where they, you know, they both celebrate together. And, um, there's so many false finishes. This is one of those matches where, like, I'll always just remember the camera work that was involved in this match. Like, it was just fantastic, spot on. And um, I remember watching it with you guys when we saw this and just still going nuts when it happened. So that's why I definitely had to have it on the list. Yeah. Again, like I said, I could fucking kick myself for leaving this match off my list. There's just so many I was thinking about that this one just totally missed my mind. But like I've said, this is my favorite WrestleMania match of all time. And it should have been on my list, and it should be higher on the master list, but it's not. I totally blame myself, but even as it is, Chris Benoit winning the belt at WrestleMania 20 comes in at number nine on our list with 22 points. All right, let's get to number eight on our list. Number eight comes in with 23 points, and it got to 23 points from being number 17 on Adam's list. It was number 14 on my list. And, Bob, you had it at number nine on your list. With a TMI, it is Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble at nine, Royal Rumble in 1992 and getting the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Bob, you had this at number nine on your list. Tell us about Flair winning the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble has always been one of my favorites, and this is the first time ever that you know the belt is up for grabs uh in the 1992 royal rumble uh if you remember the title was vacated because they had some issues going on with the undertaker and hogan so we're gonna have the uh this royal rumble winner take all for your new championship um to start off before anything bobby heenan was fantastic on the fucking mic uh i absolutely loved him on there um the backstage interview that you just said after Flair wins it, wins it the, with a tear in my eye is always one of my favorite. Uh, so many false eliminations for Flair during this match, and he just, you know, he was just amazing through the whole thing. Uh, I, I love in the middle of it when he has that showdown with Piper. Uh, Piper comes in the ring, and they both just stare at each other and they go at it. But this, this was just fucking blasted with star power. I mean, you had DiBiase, you had the British Bulldog. Flair came in at number three, a very young Shawn Michaels, uh, Kerry Von Erich, uh, the boss man, Roddy Piper, Jake Roberts, the undertaker, macho man, uh, slaughter and iron Sheik. You had Sid Hogan. And then your final four, you know, sometimes you'll see a final four of Royal, Royal Rumble and you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, you already know who's going to win. And here you have Hogan, Savage, Sid and Ric Flair as your final four. And it's just like, damn, that, that star power all galore right there. So, uh, definitely one of my favorites, especially with Flair coming in at number three and taking it all. Uh, Vince wasn't used to pushing his own, uh, you know, someone outside of his company, and here comes Ric Flair. So uh, it was definitely something different, but definitely a, a, why I had it at number nine on my list. Yeah, I remember watching this uh, 92. I was 12 years old, well, 11 going on 12. 
and just being really shocked when Flair made the jump, you know, because I I, re- I remember I would watch uh, WCW on on TBS all the time, and just to see not only Ric Flair but Ric Flair with the big gold belt on WWF TV in 1992, I was just like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> and and the fact that not only does he come in, he goes and he's in the Royal Rumble and wins from the number three position, putting on a fucking clinic of a performance in that Royal Rumble. It, it's still one of the best Royal Rumbles of all time. And the end result is just classic. It's it's a lot of the reason why this Royal Rumble is held in such high esteem with Flair coming out on top and winning the vacant belt. Just a classic moment. I love it. Uh, Adam. You had this at number 17 on your list. What do you have to say about Flair winning the Royal Rumble? Yeah, you just touched all the bases. Um, you know, uh, Bob hit the nail on the head with uh, Vince not being used to pushing his own guys. I remember being legitimately surprised he won just for that fact. Like, whoa, you know, because the year before, of course, Hogan won, and the year before that, Hogan won. So, of course, you think Hogan's going to win this one, and you had that moment where, where Sid uh, eliminated Hogan, and Hogan's yelling at Sid, and and, and the crowd uh, is on Sid's side, which I thought was tremendous, too. Uh, Hulkamania was starting to show signs of wear and tear there, but, uh, you know, that was, again, uh, heels usually did not come out on top at the end of WWE pay-per-views at that time, and uh, for Flair to do it uh, was was tremendous, and and to see him utilized that way was great. Uh, The stakes of it, I was just alone makes this, if not my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Royal Rumbles for sure, just because, you know, they kept emphasizing, uh, Bob mentioned the announcing, anyone could have won the Royal Rumble and become champion. And those kinds of stakes, it makes it so exciting. Uh, and yeah, uh, the capper, uh, the, uh, the the promo from Flair at the end, um, you know, Flair's, Flair's the 60-minute man for a reason. That was just another example. Uh, his first example of that in WWF was, was a great moment. And, you know, just Flair's the man. Uh, just another example. He goes somewhere else and does it. So, yeah, one of my favorite rumbles ever. Yeah. So we go at number eight with 23 points. It is Ric Flair winning the Royal Rumble in 1992. All right, let's get to number seven on our list. Number seven comes in with 24 points, and it got the 24 points from being number 17 on my list. And, Bob, this was your number one pick. It is Kenny Omega getting the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from Kazuchika Okada at New Japan Dominion 2018. Bob, this is your top pick, so let's talk about it. Kenny Omega over Kazuchika Okada. So when I was doing the research for this match, um, I remember when it first came out, and I remember all the hype for it. But then when I was doing the research, I completely forgot that this is the only match that uh, Dave Meltzer gave a seven-star rating for. And he said that it was the greatest match of all time. So, of course, I had to go back and watch it, and... I normally don't care about his ratings list, but, like, this one fucking hit it out of the park, man. Like, uh, again, I love the storyline between the two. This was a trilogy going on. Uh, Omega had lost the initial match. The second match was a draw. And here get here you get your uh, 
your third match, but it's a it's a two out of three falls, no time limit uh, for the Dominion pay-per-view in 2018. Okada had just broken the longest streak uh, reign for the and the most defensives uh, for the title as well. Um, Okada wins the first fall, Omega wins the second, and then the final fall after wrestling for over an hour goes to Omega. And like I said, they just hit it out of the park, man. The counter sequences that they had going from move to move to move, um, just fantastic. And just this was my real first introduction to what uh, Okada was and what he brought to the park. We talked about him earlier at the beginning of the show, and Kenny Omega is always special. So um, if you go back and watch it, I mean, you're, you're definitely going to be enthralled by just watching it. So it had to be number one on my list. Yeah, it's a very good pick. I had it 17, but, it, you know, you could definitely make the argument of going as high as you did with number one. This match, these guys put themselves through hell in this match, just – Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like as you said, it was it was over an hour long, but it does not feel like it because there's just so much action going on, so much uh, drama in the ring. Just a great story they're telling throughout the whole entire match. You're at the edge by the by the end of the match, by the end of that third fall, you're at the literally at the edge of your seat, just waiting, seeing who the fuck is going to pull this one out of the fire. And it ends up being Kenny Omega, who finally dethrones uh, Kazuchika Okada and takes the IWGP uh, Heavyweight Championship. It's, you know, again, like you said, I don't put much weight into Meltzer's rating system. Um, he, you know, he he knows a good match when he sees it. But for him to give a match seven stars, and you, if you go back and watch this match, it's hard to argue. This is a fucking great match. Um, Adam, do you have anything to add when it comes to Kenny Omega versus Okada at Dominion 2018? Do you think Jim Cornette would agree? I don't give a fuck if Jim Cornette agrees or not, to be honest yeah, with you. I, I don't know what his problem is. I, I don't know how you can't look at a wrestler, Kenny Omega, and not respect the shit out of him, um, or Okada for that matter. Um, I, I haven't seen this match, but, uh, it sounds like one I'm going to have to see. Um, and yeah, just, uh. Seems to have all the ingredients I enjoy. You know, again, when you say it's an hour long and it doesn't feel like it, that that's just uh, that says it all right there. And then you know, false finishes, two out of three falls. You know, you get the right guys in, in that situation. Uh, that that's so much fun to watch. So, uh, but that's an intriguing pick for sure. All right, so there we go. At number seven with twenty four points. It is Kenny Omega winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship over Kazuchika Okada at Dominion 2018. All right, let's get to number six on our list. Number six comes in with 26 points, and it got the 26 points from being number 13 on Adam's list. And, Bob, you had this at number three on your list. It is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat beating Ric Flair at the Chi-Town Rumble. Bob, you had this at three. Let's start with you. Tell us about Flair or Steamboat over Flair. 1989, Chi-Town Rumble, probably one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Ric Flair. Flair was a man. Uh, we've talked about him countless times on the show already so far. Uh, the biggest evil, uh, biggest ego over the top. 
ladies man and here you have steamboat the hard-working complete opposite man family man and just 23 minutes of fantastic wrestling these two just had probably some of the best chemistry with two wrestlers ever um and again it's just very simplistic at the end small like a small package cradle coming out of the figure four uh the fans go ape shit when it happens um I just told a very simplistic, amazing storyline between the two. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't over the top, but it was such a classic good versus evil match that you just had to love everything about it. Um, it felt like every move that they did had a purpose in the match, and um, it's very hard to pick a favorite match in this rivalry, but this is the one that just stands out the most for me. And again, I always love the commentary. Jim Ross was just great on this call as well, so... Um, yeah, that's why I had it as my number three. All right. Adam, you had this as number 13 on your list. What do you have to say about Steamboat over Flair? Yeah, my old uh, my old stomping grounds, uh, the good old UIC Pavilion. I think it's called some stupid credit union stadium or some shit like that now. But anyway, um, yeah, again, obviously, when you have the conversation about uh, great, great matches and great, you know, chemistry between guys well, flair and steamboat has to be at the top of the list I, I i think one reason i had it up there and i accidentally forgot about the intercontinental title i love this win because uh, bob built the uh the background beautifully you know the the, con- the contrast and characters and and styles and everything but also you know steamboat uh was in wwf won the intercontinental title and it kind of went sour after that. Uh, he wanted some time off uh, for the birth of his son. Uh, Vince, being the the uh, heart heartfelt uh, human being he is, told him no. Uh, so he had to drop the belt. He wound up leaving. Goes to uh, NWA slash WCW. Gets to the top of the mountain. Uh, it's just a great story for a guy who, like Bob said at the beginning, hardworking family man and just making a living for his family, living to entertain the fans and, uh, you know, the master of his craft, uh, to see him get his flowers is just, it's just tremendous. It's, it's a lot, feels a lot like Chris Benoit, uh, when we were talking about it a couple of minutes ago. Um, just, uh, you know, every time these guys went, it was great, but just to see Steamboat get that redemption story is, is just, they'll always have a place in my heart as a fan. All right, so there we go. At number six, with 26 points, it is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat winning the championship over Ric Flair at Chi-Town Rumble. All right, let's get to number five on our list. Number five comes in with 30 points, and it got the 30 points from being number six on both my list and Adam's list. It is Eddie Guerrero getting the championship from Brock Lesnar at no way out. Uh, Adam, let's start with you. Tell us about Eddie over Brock at no way out. I got confused by this one. Cause I originally, when I filled my list out, I said WrestleMania 20, cause there's that the, the iconic moment with Eddie and, um, and Chris Benoit celebrating together at the end of WrestleMania 20 with their titles, yeah. which was again, just such an awesome moment. But Tony reminded me that, yeah, uh, Guerrero had wanted it no way out, uh, and he defended his title at WrestleMania 20 against Kurt Angle. Again, just uh, just another moment of a guy who is, you know, uh, 
like Chris Benoit, just everywhere he went, you know, Mexico, ECW, um, WCW, just tore it up. Uh, Again, it was a case of one of those, you know, when he was on, he was on. Obviously, you know, his struggles were well documented. Uh, A lot of points in his career, even his first WWE run got cut short because he had problems uh, with drugs and alcohol, but got his stuff together uh, for a second run. And just, I mean, he was over the first time, first go around WWE, you know, all the stuff he did with China, won the IC belt, won the European belt. But when he got his second run, he got a second chance. He just took the ball, ran, and never looked back. Uh, obviously, Brock Lesnar was huge at the time. Uh, he still is to this to this day. But, uh, you know, Brock was young at the time, unbeatable, and Eddie, uh, Eddie wins the title from him. Uh, another, again, another tremendous underdog story. Um, but you, you, you factor in everything he had to go through to get to that point, even get the title match, because he had, he had lost uh, his job at WCW, I think, for a while, um, or he was just out because of his issues and, you know, uh, just, just that whole story was just tremendous to, to see him conquer his demons and, and get to the top, uh, was just inspiring. Um, and again, to work with a guy like Brock Lesnar, who's so huge, but you know, Eddie was just a true pro and got great matches out of everybody. And it was just, this is a uplifting moment to see. So that, that's why I've got that win so high on my list. Yeah, and it's a great match. I remember watching this uh, live and just being mesmerized by the match itself and just honestly being surprised and over the moon that Eddie was able to get the win and win the belt from Eddie, from uh, Brock Lesnar. Um, like you said, uh, Eddie, he was on like a redemption tour at this point because, you know, he had his run-ins in WCW, then he comes over uh to wwe um again famously in 2001 he gets let go because of uh you know he you know he fails drug tests and gets himself into trouble and uh he has to go back on the indie scene again build up his career make a name for himself again until he's rehired and ultimately the wwf sees enough in him and uh the way he's turned his life around that they they book him to win the championship against Brock Lesnar. And that's just the emotion that came out of that crowd. Once Eddie hits that final frog splash and gets the one, two, three, um, it's magical. Like if you go back and watch that match, um, that reaction and the way that match ended is just really special. Uh, Bob, you didn't have this match on your list, but you have anything to say about uh, Eddie Guerrero over Brock Lesnar at No Way Out? I went back and forth, but I ended up taking another uh, Eddie Guerrero match instead. Um, I loved the the, the match. Um, I loved that Eddie got, you know, the championship at the end. I hated that Goldberg had to be a part of it, um, you know, came in and kind of uh, tainted the finish there with the spear and taking him out. But, you know, both Michael Cole and Taz on uh, the commentary was great. I... Um, I love the build-up to this match. Uh, Eddie does one of my all-time favorite promos where, you know, Lesnar's calling him an addict, and he he comes out and says, yeah, he's addicted. Um, But then he talks about how, you know, he's addicted to wrestling and just the rush that he has with it. It's just one of the best promos I've ever heard. Um, But 
I just went with one other match that always just kind of stands out to me as one of Eddie Guerrero's uh, best matches ever. So uh, that's the only way reason it missed it, but it uh, definitely deserves to be on the list. Yep. So there you go. At number five with 30 points, it is Eddie Guerrero winning the championship over Brock Lesnar at no way out. All right, let's get to number four on our list. Number four comes in with 31 points, and it got the 31 points from being number 19 on Bob's list. It was number 12 on Adam's list, and I had this at number one. It is Daniel Bryan winning the heavyweight championship in a triple threat match between Randy Orton and Batista at WrestleMania 30. Um... Yeah, where to start with this? This is, you know, Daniel Bryan that year was just, you know, it's hard to believe this is 10 years ago already, but this is, you know, the yes movement, the Daniel Bryan movement. This was the crowd hijacking uh, the show, you know, Raw every week, just demanding uh, Daniel Bryan be put in the position that they thought that he should be in despite what the booking was saying, you know, if you, if you pay attention to, to the booking, how they were doing it, they had no intentions of having Daniel Bryan be in the championship match at WrestleMania that year. They had bought Batista in to win the Royal rumble that year with the intention of the match, just being him and Randy Orton at WrestleMania 30, but they had to, you know, they had to switch the game plan because the fans would not let it go. When when Daniel Bryan got eliminated, or or no, he wasn't even part of that Royal Rumble that year. He wasn't even part of the Rumble. That's right, yeah. They were they were waiting for him to come out. And the last guy to come in was was Rey Mysterio. And when Rey Mysterio came in at number thirty yeah, when Rey Mysterio came in at number thirty and it wasn't <laughs> Daniel Bryan, the crowd went nuclear. They were they just booed that place to the ground. I don't think they were booing Rey Mysterio himself. No. They were booing the fact that Daniel Bryan wasn't going to be part of the Royal Rumble because he was that over that year. The fans wanted Daniel Bryan in the mix. They wanted him in that championship match. And for whatever reason, the, the creative team was just tone deaf. They, were, they wanted to go with their plan, but the crowd refused to let it go to the point where they – they were forced to change to change plans mid-go. And they put Daniel Bryan into WrestleMania 30. You remember, at first, he had to beat Triple H in a preliminary match, the first match on the card. And if he didn't win that, then he wasn't going to be in the championship match. But, of course, he did beat Triple H, got into the main event, and ended up making Batista tap out and winning the championship. And the pop that he got at the end of that, it was just a culmination of a really great fan-made storyline. Like I said, this was not WWE. This was not their making. This was the fans just hijacking it and making it so. And when he won that match, just, you know, the crowd just going nuts. It, It was the perfect topper. I can't remember a single WrestleMania that I thought ended in a better way. So, yeah. That's why I had it at number one, Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 30. Um, let's see here. Uh, Adam, you had it at number 12 on your list. What do you have to say about it? 
Yeah, uh, you made very strong case for this being your number one. Um, it's so special because, like you said, it was it was fan driven, um, and you don't always see that. Um, you know, and and to Vince's credit, you know, you mentioned the the uh, the creative team wanting to go in a different direction, but to Vince's credit, you know, I I've, I've heard him say and. Many an interview. My responsibility is to deliver uh, to the audience what, what they want, and that's what they wanted. So rather than just shut out the noise and and go with what they were going to go with, uh, they listen to the fans uh, because they're the ones buying the tickets and the pay per views and the merchandise. Um, and you know, you watch you watch Daniel Bryan still uh, just an amazing competitor, just. A student of the game, just just one of the very best, and I mean, you can't tell me that that match would have been better without him in it. Um, you know, the, the, every so often it, it it happens. Someone just catches like fire, and the WWE fans just just let them know. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that continues uh, as as they go forward. That uh, some new stars come up, and the fans kind of will. Uh, you know, have their voice because everybody goes home happy. And then this is a, just another great case of someone who worked very hard and and uh, got what he deserved. So, yeah, it's a great choice by you for number one. Yeah. How about you, Bob? You had this at number 19 on your list. Yeah, I really enjoyed the story. I mean, if you talk, if you listen, Brian said that he was originally supposed to wrestle Sheamus on the card. And, uh, you know, then the fans got behind them and for once the WWE listened and, and it was, like you said, the fantastic was, uh, the finish was fantastic. I mean, just, uh, the way that it ended with the submission, the fans are going nuts. Michael Cole's going nuts. He was great on the mic. Um, no, definitely a good choice for number one. Uh, that's, I had it higher up compared to the Kofi one earlier. Cause like I said, this was the, uh, the original storyline that they came up with first, but, um, really, really enjoyed this match. Nice. So there we go. At number four with 31 points, it's Daniel Bryan winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 30. All right, let's get to number three on our list. Number three comes in with 37 and a half points. And it got the 37 and a half points from being an honorable mention on Bob's list. It was number three on my list. And Adam, you had this at number two on your list. It is Mankind winning the belt over The Rock on Raw. Adam, you had this at number two on your list. Let's start with you. Tell us about Mankind winning the belt over The Rock. I'll start off with Tony Schiavone put my ass in the seat. (laughs) You know, uh, of course, I knew with Mick Foley from, you know, his WCW days as Cactus Jack. We we covered uh, that. In uh, our Halloween Havoc uh, recap last week, uh, you know, I knew of him at ECW. I knew about the crazy matches with Terry Funk, you know, all over the globe. Uh, he came into the WWE, and, you know, at first the Mankind character didn't make a ton of sense to me. I thought, like, you know, just like Mick himself asked Vince, why can't I be Cactus Jack? But, you know, after a while he made it work. But this is just another case of a guy who worked his ass off, uh, really, you know, had that connection with the fans, wanted to give everything he could to the fans, send them home happy, 
you know, every interview you've seen, he's just one of the most genuine, nice people in, in wrestling and in, in, in any form of life. You know, he, he kind of, he has the Ricky Steamboat thing with a big family man, you know, it's very relatable. You know, he, he wasn't chiseled out of stone, you know, it was just a hard worker and he gave, busted his ass. Um, he really got over with me uh, when he got in the corporation, you know, he had the whole Mr. Uh, Mr. Sacco thing and, his relationship with Vince, of course, you had the uh, the Hell in the Cell with the Undertaker. Just, I mean, the guy just you couldn't help but root for him. So when you know word got out, because of course it was a tape raw where he won the title against The Rock in late '98. Um, I didn't need Tony Schiavone to tell me to not change the channel. I was I was locked. I wasn't going to watch WCW that night because. I found out that he was going to win the belt and I was so excited because it was such a, such a wonderfully, again, another emotional feel good moment. Um, and, you know, uh, Bob's mentioned Michael Cole a few times. I'm not a huge fan of his, but he really nailed it that night. Um, just really uh, added to it. Uh, you know, uh, made it very uplifting. Um, it was just, it was just, uh, a magical night just to see Mick Foley get the credit he so richly deserved and through all the sacrifices he had made over the over the years. So uh, the only one more win obviously got me uh, more excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is definitely one of the more, more memorable Raw moments of all time. Um, just the fact that they did it on a Raw, on, on regular TV, um it was really cool, honestly. And yeah, back Friday on WCW, of course, this was pre-taped and they gave away the ending. But like you said, <laughs> one of WCW's biggest blunders, they got everybody to change the channel to watch McFoley win the belt finally. Um, yeah, just an awesome moment. Uh, like you said, when, when Austin's music hits and he comes in, the just a nuclear pop when that mm-hmm. happens comes in, you know, hits the rock with the chair, you know, puts uh mankind on him, you know, gets the count, the crowd just goes nuts, and of course, everybody, you know, DX puts him on his shoulders, he's got the belt, just a really fucking great moment, uh, probably one of the best moments of the attitude era, um, yeah. Yeah, just really indelible. Uh, Bob, uh, you did not, or you had this as an honorable mention on on your list. What do you have to say about Foley over the Rock? Yeah, it was definitely like you said, one of the best parts of uh, the Attitude Era. Um, you know, the, the when Austin's music hits, probably one of the loudest pops I ever heard. Um, and, and like I said, one, like you mentioned, one of the best moments ever for Monday Night Raw, just in general. Um. It plays such a huge part in that era, but I mean, if you remember, the, the match is only like nine minutes long. It doesn't go long. It's very, very quick and rushed. But just uh, those last three minutes of it, you know, DX gets involved and they're fighting off the authority, and you know, Austin's music hit, and it's just always one of those uh, memorable moments that you'll you'll remember for a lifetime. Yeah. So there we go. At number three, with thirty-seven and a half points, it is mankind. Winning the belt over the rock on Raw. All right, let's get to number two on our list. Number two comes in with 38 points, and it got that 38 points 
from being number 11 on my list. It was number 10 on Bob's list. And Adam, you had this at number four on your list. It is CM Punk winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. Adam, this is number four on your list. So let's start with you. Tell us about Punk over Cena. I just realized that uh, two of my top five is John Cena losing the WWF title. <laughs> Imagine that, It's pretty fucking Imagine cool. Um, I had this so high because, again, um, everything that dovetailed into it, uh, you know, this is on the heels of the infamous uh, pipe bomb promo, you know, because I was a disenfranchised fan at this time, and, and CM Punk really spoke to me with that promo. Um, you know, not, not, I wasn't even a regular viewer at this time, but he's, you know, in the whole, the whole, I'm going to, I'm going to win the title and I'm going to leave the company with the title. Like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I just, you know, I got really behind it. I wanted C to the lose so bad because he kept beating everybody and it just got really, really old for me. Um, you know, and it was just great storytelling because, you know, this was the anti-authority and, and the, you know, the against, uh, you know, the, the squeaky clean uh, face of the company. And, you know, I felt, you know, WWE needs to shake some shit up. And, and that did it. So I'm like, oh, God, I hope this guy wins. So I was I was paying attention to it. It even got some coverage in the paper, I remember, because, of course, CM Punk being a Chicago guy and, and the match was at the, uh, at the All-State Arena. Um, so, of course, uh, you know, the more things changed, the more they stayed the same. The crowd was very pro punk and uh that's exactly what happened he he won the title and uh supposedly left with it but he really didn't but uh you know just uh for me that was very significant that i was hopeful like that they would try something different than than the whole super cena thing um they they kind of went out of their comfort zone took a left turn and it stirred some stuff up and some of the stuff that was said to just set up that, that match was just, was just incredible. So that's why, uh, that's why I had it up at number four. Yeah. Bob, you had this at number 10 on your list. What do you have to say about punk over Cena? This is one of my favorite CM punk matches in the WWE when he was there again, another great storytelling line going in uh, punk's contract was coming out. He's threatening to leave the company. Cena's coming into enemy territory here in Chicago. Uh, again, that crowd, amazing. I mean, fucking right, right when, uh, before his music even hits, you know, they're just going nuts. And then as soon as the music hits, they go even like they raise it another bar higher. It's just like, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, Cena's your golden child. Punk's your anti, anti-hero. And um, if you remember, they tried to do the screw job on, on punk, you know, Cena, Cena's got the STF and Vince is trying the ring for the bell with Johnny Ace and, um, he ends up getting hit by the GTS, wins the belt. He runs into the crowd. He starts evading, uh, they even sent Del Rio down to the ring. Remember to cash in the money in the bank. Cause Vince is trying to mm-hmm. get all up in there and he blows Vince to kiss. And it's just that iconic scene of him blowing <laughs> Vince to kiss and walking off, um, it's the CM Punk that we know now, you know, it was just a great match, which, you know, it's kind of hard to see. Cena has a lot of those, but uh, this was definitely a really good one on his behalf. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this was everything you wanted it to be. Um, 
like you said, it was in Chicago. The crowd makes this match. They're just behind everything Punk does, of course. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, if you you know if you remember correctly, they were booking Punk to be the heel in every other place that they had this. Punk was getting the heel heat, and Cena was the face. But in Chicago, it was decidedly the opposite. And, uh, you know, I, I just love how WWF tries to, or WWE tries to uh, make up for that in the commentary when the match mm-hmm. is going on. And they were doing the same exact thing during this match. They were having Michael Cole and Lawler, um, you know, try and explain, well, you know, it's, you know, this is a highly partisan crowd. You know, they're going to cheer their hero, but, you know, and blah blah blah, and even at the end, where Cole was like openly cheering for Cena to win the belt, it's you know it's it, it it's it just adds to the uh, to the environment of it. It's pretty cool, and yeah, that ending is awesome. Everything about this match is just fucking awesome. Um, yeah, that's why I had it uh, so high on my list too. We all had it high on our list, and that's why it comes in in second place. With 38 points, CM Punk winning, winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. All right, well, that brings us to our number one pick. But before we get to number one, let's give you our honorable mentions. Like I mentioned at the top of the recording here, um, these picks are picks that didn't get enough points to make the top 10, but they did get enough picks to warrant a mention let's start with number 21 our first honorable mention comes in with 13 points and it got the 13 points from being number eight on bob's list it is edge and christian winning the tag team championships at tlc at wrestlemania 17 bob tell us about edge and christian winning at wrestlemania 17 this was uh, TLC two, uh, two thousand and one WrestleMania seventeen. Um, another fantastic rivalry. I mean, in the WWE at this time, uh, the tag team division is skyrocketing. You know, the you got uh, Edge and Christian, you got the Hardys, you got the Dudleys, and um, just the chemistry that the three teams had together was just unmatched. Um, each team had their own specialty coming into the match. You know, the ladders, the chairs, the tables. And then you include their allies, Lita, Rhino, Spike Dudley. It was just 16 minutes of just holy shit action. Just like, um, this is one of the matches that made WrestleMania 17 one of the best matches ever, or WrestleMania's ever, just because um, this match almost stole the show that night. You know, it was definitely one of the the main matches on that card. Um, Edge spearing Jeff Hardy in the air is always going to be one of those spots that you just remember forever. Um, Matt Hardy, Christian, just taking these amazing bumps, the swanton off the ladders, just one of the best ladder matches, especially with these teams together. Just that's why I had it so high up on my list. It was, um, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. At number 21, our first honorable mention, it is edging Christian winning the Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania 17. All right, let's get to number 22, our second honorable mention. Comes in with 13 points as well, and it got the 13 points from being number eight on Adam's list. It is Sting winning the WCW Championship at 
bash at the beach. Adam, tell, or the Great American Bash, I'm sorry. Uh, Adam, tell us about Sting winning the belt at the Great American Bash. Sting was, of course, uh, the, the big face in WCW. Uh, had a storied history with Ric Flair. Um, you know, even today as we uh, wind down Sting's career, uh, they're mentioning all these matches that Sting and Flair had, 45-minute time in the draw here, you know, just... It was you talked about chasers earlier. He was the ultimate chaser for Ric Flair. He would have great matches with them, but he just could not uh, get over the hump and win the big one. Uh, great American Bash was was uh, where he finally did it. Uh, won the world title again. Um, Hard working guy, um, you know. Ric Flair, he says to this day, put him on the map, and uh, this was the match that got him. That got him to the top. And, um, arguably one of the most exciting moments in WCW history. Cause again, Flair at that time was the guy, uh, he, he had the horseman backing him up. He'd do anything and everything to keep his title. Uh, but, uh, on that one night in, in June or July, whenever great American bash was, uh, sting was, was the better man. And, uh, he started his first of many WCW title reigns. Uh, so, uh, Hard work paid off for the Stinger, getting getting a win over his longtime rival, Ric Flair. So that's uh, that that brought Sting uh, to the next level. Um, so that's why I had it uh, high on my list. And he's right. still doing it, damn it. Yep. There you go. At number 22 with 13 points, our second honorable mention, Sting winning at the Great American Bash. All right, let's get to number 23. Our third honorable mention comes in with 12 points, and it got the 12 points from being number nine on my list. It is Ivan Koloff beating Bruno San Martino at Madison Square Garden. Um, again, I this isn't, you know, it's not for the quality of match, really. It's for what it represents. Bruno San Martino was, of course, the king of uh, the World Wrestling Federation back in the day. At this point in his career, he had held the belt for seven years, eight months, and a day. But in January of 1971, um, he loses the belt to Ivan Koloff at Madison Square Garden. Uh, the reason for taking the belt off of Bruno again, he had been he had held the belt for seven years, over seven years. Um and he was, at this point, burnt out. He said he needed a break. He needed to take a hiatus. Plus, he had been really injured at that point. He just wanted to take some time off. So they decided to take the belt off of him. And Bruno, you know, quoted as saying that when they when Koloff pins him and wins the belt, um, he, like, the audience was in such shock that it was just silent. He thought he he thought he had went deaf for like a couple of like a couple of seconds because, uh, just like the shock silence in, in Madison Square Garden when that happened was deafening, um, but of course Koloff uh, had won the championship as they do, uh, you know as most heels back then did they were more transition champions than anything, um, yeah and then San Martino was out for. Uh, a good period of time before he ultimately came back and won the championship again and had another long run reign. But this was the reign that um, still, I, I don't think anybody will beat that that reign. That's seven year 
plus reign that Bruno had. So, like I said, not because of the quality of the match, but for what it represented, I had Ivan Koloff beating Bruno Sammartino at number nine on our list, and it comes in at number 23, our third honorable mention, with 12 points. All right, let's get to number 24, our fourth honorable mention. Also comes in with 12 points, and it got the 12 points from being number nine on Adam's list. It is Carrie Von Erich beating Ric Flair at the David Flair Memorial Show at Cowboy Stadium. Adam, tell us about Carrie Von Erich beating Ric Flair. Well, uh, of course, the story of the Von Erich clan is coming to the big screen in uh, mere weeks, but uh, anyone who knows this famous wrestling clan, huge out of Texas, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mike, David, Carrie, Kevin, uh, the brothers, uh, the the uh, world-class uh, representatives, uh, super over. Uh, but the Tyler family, unfortunately, was marred by tragedy. And uh, again, uh, David, unfortunately, passed away um, three months earlier. So to honor him, a, a show was put on at Texas Stadium. Um, 45,000 fans were in attendance and Ric Flair wrestled on the, on the, on the show, uh, defending his NWA heavyweight title against, uh, his brother, Kerry. Um, and, and, uh, Kerry wound up winning the match, uh, only held the belt for 18 days before losing it back to Flair. But, uh, you know, at that time, especially 45,000 fans, so, so much emotion, riding high from feeling the loss of David, you know, you know, from, from a family perspective, of course, and, and uh, peer perspective and fan perspective, it was a, uh, it was a very emotional thing. And it was a, it was a tremendous move uh, on Ric Flair and the NWA's part. And uh, Kerry got, got his moment in the sun and he got to honor his brother and honor his family. And uh, I would argue that's one of the most highly emotional moments, uh, in a title match you can have. So um, that's why I had it where I had it. Uh, and it was good to see uh, a Von Erich, uh, you know, with all they've contributed to the business, uh, have someone holding the heavyweight title. So that's why I had it where I had it. All right. Well, there we go. At number 24, our fourth honorable mention, Kerry Von Erich winning the NWA championship over Ric Flair. All right. Let's get to number five on our Honorable mentions are 25th overall comes in with 11 points and it got the 11 points from being number 10 on my list. It is the ultimate warrior winning the intercontinental championship over the honky tonk man at SummerSlam 1998. Again, not because of the quality of match, because honestly there was no match really. There was three in this instance. And a gorilla press wasn't there. Uh, no, it was I don't even think there was a gorilla press. There was just, it was just him doing the, the 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 slam, right, or the the splash. Okay. Yeah, he comes in, does a couple of clotheslines. Uh, I think the flying shoulder block, and then maybe the splash. I'm not sure. The whole thing just lasts like ten seconds. But um, yeah, SummerSlam '88, Hockey Talk Man had held the Intercontinental Championship uh, for a record amount of time at that point. Um, and he's basically gotten bored of the competition, so he comes out and issues an open challenge. Anybody who wants to come out 
and get this Intercontinental Championship off my waist. I'm challenging you. And then all of a sudden, Ultimate Warrior's music hits. The crowd goes fucking apeshit. Out comes the Warrior, probably on about five lines of blow, um, running out to the ring. And as we said, we, we, we basically just gave you the results of the match. <laughs> clothesline, clothesline, shoulder tackle splash. That's it. And and end of run for the for the honky tonk man. I love it. If you go back and watch this match, Warrior is so amped when they when they hand him the belt that he doesn't. I don't think he knows how to control the gyrations of his body. He's just like he's just like openly just gyrating his arms, his hips, his legs. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's just like so amped up. It's kind of it's fucking hilarious, but. Again, it's just like one of those indelible moments in time that I had this on my list because, yeah, it wasn't a great match. It wasn't even a match, but it was just a moment. Hmm. And for that moment, that's why I had it on my list. So there we go. Ultimate Warrior over the Honky Tonk Man <laughs> at Summer. What was up, Bob? You want to say something? You think, you think he got the cook from Billy Corgan or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well it would have been like a what like a like a 18 year old billy corgan back there giving the giving the warrior some blow with hair yeah (laughs) he's still in hair back then yeah oh shit but yeah there we go at number 25 our fifth honorable mention ultimate warrior over the honky tonk man at SummerSlam 1988 all right, well, that brings us to our number one title change of all time, gentlemen. Our number one pick comes in with 52 points, and it got the 52 points from being number six on Bob's list. It was number four on my list, and Adam, this was your number one pick. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin winning the WWE Championship from The Rock at WrestleMania 17. Adam, let's start with you. This is your number one pick. Tell us about Austin over the Rock at WrestleMania 17. So you mentioned uh, Austin winning the title at WrestleMania 14. Um, again, like good match, but found it kind of predictable. Um, I think he won it again at 15, if I'm not mistaken, beat the Rock. Um, it's stuff that he was out for a while uh, in the the lingering effects of the Owen Hart pile driver that messed up his neck a couple of years earlier. Uh, at that during that time, uh, The Rock became, became number one babyface, top dog, and uh, Austin was kind of an afterthought. Uh, I was always more of an Austin guy. I loved The Rock as a heel, but his act as a face started kind of wearing on me a little bit. So. Uh, the match was set. Austin won the Royal Rumble that year, uh, set at the Houston Astrodome uh, for the title. Uh, Rock was the champion, and very partisan <coughs> Texas crowd, of course, uh, Austin being from there. And I just remember, <clears throat> you really, uh, I went into that match not knowing it was going to win. It was a coin flip as far as I was concerned because The Rock was super over then, but I really wanted Austin to win that match, and so did a lot of people in the arena. And, uh, you know, I just felt, 
I just felt at that point, you know, both the characters kind of needed to shake up, and that's what we got. Um, back and forth, competitive match. Very, uh, I think it was at the, at the last minute made a no DQ match, and uh, that set the stage for uh, about two thirds of the way through the match. Down the down the aisle comes Vince McMahon. Don't know what he's doing there, and uh, becomes apparent pretty quickly he's there to help Steve Austin, and Austin bludgeons the shit out of the rock with the chair multiple times. They get each other, uh, each other's finishers. A lot of near falls, very exciting back and forth match. But uh, Vince McMahon essentially helps Steve Austin win the WWF title. And uh, Austin, as Jim Ross so adequately, adequately puts it, sold his soul to Satan himself to do it. And he effectively turns heel at WrestleMania. And I just remember being a giddy little schoolgirl, just like so excited. Like at the prospect of Austin being a heel. In winning the title again, uh, again I was getting kind of sick of the rock at that point, and <clears throat> I was just—I don't think I've ever been more excited by an outcome of a match um, in all my years as, as a wrestling fan. That's why it's number one. I, again, Austin's one of my favorites of all time too. That doesn't hurt things, and I was just excited with with where they went with it. Um, so uh, that's why it's number one in terms of. Pure excitement level. Nothing topped it. By God. Steve Austin has sold his soul to the devil himself. What the hell? (laughs) Yeah, that was was cool. That was cool as hell. I mean, just, I love, the match was awesome, Mm -hmm. even up to the point of Vince coming in. Um, These two gave everything they had for it. That when, when you see... McMahon coming in, and and then you start understanding that he's helping Austin win the match, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" And then Austin just continually, uh, you know, hitting the Rock with the chair, uh, the Rock just kicking out whenever he did, it, and just Austin just gradually and gradually just fucking losing it um, to the point where he just like takes the chair and just smashes the rock with it it seems like 20 straight fucking times until he finally gets the three count and wins the championship and of course like you said it's in texas so the crowd is going nuts um but then you have that final image of austin and mcmahon in the center of the ring shaking hands and you know just i know a lot of people uh shit talk the the heel Austin era I fucking loved it I did too. I I thought it was so, it was a necessary change to his character at that point um and I thought they handled this transition really well uh it may have not reflected that way in ticket sales as it turned out but um I thought creatively it was fucking great and yeah just it all coming from this point yeah that's why I had it so far on my list this was a really great title change match. Uh, Bob, you had this at number six on your list. What do you have to say about Austin and The Rock at WrestleMania 17? Yeah, these two had great, great chemistry between each other. It was a great rivalry. Um, I believe both of them went in uh, as faces at the beginning of the match, uh, and then that's when Austin mm-hmm. turned at the at the end. 
Uh, but I mentioned earlier with the TLC match, like this is the greatest to me, one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time, WrestleMania 17. Um, these guys almost won a half hour and just like I said, nonstop action, even like you said, Vince coming out at the end really didn't deter much to it. But um, it's funny because when I first did my list, I forgot about this match. and I, put, I didn't put it on there. And then uh, right before I submitted it to you, I, I, I went ahead and rewatched it and I saw it and then I was like, oh shit. And then I had to kind of redo my whole list before I submitted it to you. So um, yeah, definitely number one for a reason. So good pick. Yeah. And if you were, if you'll remember how uh, WWE used to do those uh, those pre-match uh, video packages before the, the main events at WrestleMania, this is probably the best one they ever did uh, going up to this match, famously to the tune of My Way by Limp Biscuit. Um, <laughs> keep rolling, 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 rolling. Um, no, but... Uh, they did a really good job with the with the pre-match package for this one heading into it and it really sold the importance of the match itself. It was all great. And yeah, there we go. Our number 1 title change of all time. Steve Austin winning the championship over The Rock at WrestleMania 17. All right, boys, that's it. That's our top 20 title changes of all time. Like we do every single time. Let's go back through our list, starting at number 20. At number 20 with 13 points, it is the British Bulldog over Bret the Hitman Hart at SummerSlam 1992. At number 19, it is Ric Flair winning the NWA Heavyweight Championship over Harley Race at the first Starcade. That one came in with 13 and a half points. At number 18 with 14 points, it is Stone Cold Steve Austin over Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 14. At number 17 with 14 points, it's Razor Ramon over Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship in a ladder match at WrestleMania 10. At number 16 with 14 and a half points, it's Bret the Hitman Hart winning the WWE Championship over Yokozuna at WrestleMania 10. At number 15, with 16 points, it is the Lucha Brothers winning the AEW Tag Team Championship over the Young Bucks at All Out 2021. At number 14, with 17 points, it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat winning the Intercontinental Championship over Randy Savage at WrestleMania 3. At number 13, with 17 points, it's Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship over Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35. At number 12, with 18 points, it's Rob Van Dam winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. At number 11, with 19 points, it is Kenny Omega winning the IWGP North American Championship over Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom 2023. At number 10, with 20 points, it is Hulk Hogan winning the WWE championship, or WWF Championship over the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden. At number 9, with 22 points, it is Chris Benoit winning in a triple threat match between Triple H and Shawn Michaels for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 20. At number 8, with 23 points, it is Ric Flair 
winning the Royal Rumble 1992 for the vacant WWE Championship. At number seven with 24 points, it is Kenny Omega over Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Dominion 2018. And number six, with 26 points, it is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat winning the winning the championship over Ric Flair at the Chi-Town Rumble. At number five, with 30 points, it is Eddie Guerrero winning the championship over Brock Lesnar at No Way Out. At number four, with 31 points, it's Daniel Bryan winning the WWE Championship in a triple threat over Randy Orton and Batista at WrestleMania 30. At number three, with 37 and a half points, it is Mankind McFoley winning over The Rock on Raw. At number two, with 38 points, it is CM Punk winning the WWE Championship over John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. And as we just said, at number one, with 52 points, it is Stone Cold Steve Austin over The Rock for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 17. So there we go, boys. Our top 20 title changes of all time. Is this a fair representative list of the top title changes of all time? Let's start with you, Bob. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a lot of fun to put this list together. Uh, I enjoy doing lists like this. Um, 20 through 1, great, great, great matches. And the sad thing is there's still a lot of great matches that didn't even get called upon. Um, I had mentioned earlier I had another Eddie Guerrero match. Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio uh, from Halloween Havoc is one of my all-time favorite matches. Um, there's the... the the trilogy between FTR and the Briscoe brothers was amazing. There's so many matches that we didn't even yeah. talk about that, you know, this list could give on even more and more and more. But uh, what we did present, the 20, I thought was uh, definitely a great list. All right. How about you, Adam? What yeah, are your thoughts on this list? That was a lot of fun. Uh, but I noticed there's a lot of them. Um, sometimes we do lists and all three of us are like simpatico, but like, there's only a few where all three of us had something really high. Um, so that gave us a chance to talk about a lot of different matches and our, and our lists weren't matchy matchy. And sometimes it's a lot of fun just because, you know, you get pissed when you forget something important, but, uh, <laughs> but, but on the plus side of that, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good one too. So um, yeah, it gave us a lot of room to, spread out and talk about a lot of different matches. So, uh, yeah, this was, this was a fun one. Yeah. So there we go. Our top 20 title changes of all time. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. All right. So that's the show for this week, but before we leave, like we do every week, let's give you our match of the week picks. These are matches for you to watch in the meantime, in between time, before we get to you again next time. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. What's your match of the week pick this week? Easily Swerve and Hangman from last night. Um, definitely some of the best matches I've seen in a long time. So, uh, holy shit for a lot of it. But um, outstanding Texas Death match. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down with you. That that match left my fucking jaw hanging. I thought I'd seen. <laughs> my fair share of Texas death matches that uh, I wasn't going to be amazed by, but 
those two stole the show last night. That is definitely my match of the week pick as well. Uh, Adam, what's your match of the week pick this week? Was there a cattle prod involved in, in it? No, not this time. Oh, that's too bad. But uh, I haven't seen it, so I, I figured you guys would go with that. But I will. Um, I, I felt last year at this time, 2023 is going to be the year of MJF. I think 2024 is going to be the year of Swerve Strickland. Uh, this guy is getting over monstrously. He's he's an amazing talent. Uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds. Uh, I, I had some off time this week, so I caught up on a lot of matches uh, that I hadn't watched uh, for a couple weeks. Um, and Swerve had a really great one on Dynamite a few weeks back with Pento. Um, that was a really great match, so I'm going to go with that one too. Uh, again, I, I would be shocked if this uh, this guy didn't have uh, gold around his waist um, in 2024. He's, he's that good. Yeah. All right. Well, those are our match of the week picks this week. Hope you guys, uh, hope we give you guys options to watch this Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe you right. don't watch well, the Texas Death Match after you eat a lot, of, after you eat so much, though. Yeah, you might want to do that before you eat. I think yeah, your lovely fiance would agree. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. We want to hear from you guys. Again, there's two ways to do that. You can email us. Our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that's enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Or do what everybody else does. Join our Facebook fan page. We have a great community going on there. Comment on there. Leave us poll questions, memes, jokes, thoughts, predictions, whatever the hell you want to do in the do or talk about in the world of professional wrestling. It's all there on the Enhancement Talent fan page. Um, also, wherever you stream or listen to the podcast, click the join or subscribe button or the follow button, whatever fucking button it is. Just <laughs> click it. Uh, <laughs> it helps us out a lot. Also, leave us a five-star review while you're there. That helps us out a lot, too. All right. Again, that's the end of the show. So, for the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kulavik, and for the other half of the Amazing Lopez Cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez. Have a happy, safe, and wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, and we will talk to you guys again next week. Have a good one. Stay safe. Talk to you then. Watch out for the godly cooker. <laughs>